This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate, a special episode this week. Uh, you could follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. I'm one of your hosts, it's your old pal, Mike Spears, joined alongside Case Lowe. And we are joined this week to talk about the impending retirement of Kness with the Voice of Dragon Gate English commentary, Jay. Jay, how's it going? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Um, actually, this is like I, I I reached out to you guys for <laughs> to be on for this one because I wanted to make sure that uh, you know, like last year with Yoshino, there was you know a lot of stories being written and people reaching out from all different directions to kind of get some thoughts on it. But with Kness, it's a little different, and I wanted to make sure that. Uh, you know, his story got told and he gets his flowers, so to speak. So thank you for having me. Yeah, and that's something that I know Case and I, because of how the Dragon Gate schedule is at the front part of the year and how, at least in March, things have been a little bit more open than usual. I mean, it, the last show, just for people to know when we're recording this, the last show of March happened today at Sambo Hall. So we, we've been trying to dive a little bit into Kness to make sure that... Uh, that that he gets his flowers from us last week we are we talked about Kness versus Yoshino's series but Jay I, I think leading the leading off of this and uh, this is something that Case and I have talked about you are probably the biggest at least of what at least from what I'm aware of uh Western Kness fan uh how did you uh really find yourself uh drawn to Kness was this something that you were following him before Torimon through like Russell Yume Factory and like his brief uh, Michinoku Pro days, or was it something that as Makoto he just kind of reached out to you? Yeah, I mean he's my all-time favorite wrestler, um, and it was I did like him as as Makoto for sure. Like, um, but like during that time period, like that was you know, 99, 99 first half of 2000, like that run was not very long, so it was it was as Darkness Dragon that he really jumped off the page at me i think you know darkness dragon is one of the most compelling and coolest characters in pro wrestling history you know you think about you know that creating a dark rival for the hero masked character is like such a standard wrestling trope you know you've got you know whether, whether it be black tiger or ultimate dragon or even you know recently dragon dia dia inferno 
Darkness Dragon was different from all of those in the sense that those other characters were created to be a foil to make the hero character look good, I guess, so to speak. Um, you know, like for let's you know let's let's say Black Tiger, and this isn't a shot against you know Rollerball or anything. He's awesome, but like the Black Tiger character only was only looked strong when it was time to build towards the match where Tiger Mask was going to beat him, right? Whereas with Darkness Dragon, it was he was this strong and fearsome character that also had a life outside of the rivalry with Dragon Kid. And it was just so interesting and so cool to me. Um, so he, it was a very vital part of me becoming him. And then later Milano collection when, you know, when T2P came over, like that was, those were the two catalysts that really propelled me and WCW dying. Cause I was a WCW guy. Um, and it, you know, so 2001, March 2001, essentially would be, you know, the timing that, you know, I needed to find a new home promotion. And, you know, those were the, the things that brought me over to, to Tori Mon full time. Is March 2001 when you started your first website? When, because I, I guess, I mean, I've been reading your stuff every day for close to a decade now, but I don't know when you started covering stuff in English. It was uh, November of 2000-ish. Um, I think I've told this told the story before, but essentially, like there was nobody covering, um, like at the time. I don't know if you guys were were you guys around in at the time, <laughs> like November two thousand. Yeah, so I, I was you, not. Then you know, like at that time, there was really nobody covering Japanese news to a deeper extent. You know, like there was whatever was in the Wrestling Observer, but you know, like I wasn't reading the Observer at the time. But if you go back and read back issues, you know. Torimon and the smaller promotions in general were not, you know, they were getting, you know, no coverage whatsoever. And if they did, it would just be, you know, other Japan notes, one sentence summary. And then there were places like, uh, like Pixies Pro Wrestling News or Zach Arnold who would get it wrong or it would just be results only. And, uh, you know, Torimon which, you know, the first year just results is fine because it was just, you'd hold a show, there'd be matches and everything would be self-contained. But in 2000, particularly after the formation of M2K and everything became much more story driven, you know, like I, you, I'd get these, you'd get the tapes and you'd, all these things were happening. You had no idea what happened. And I would complain to my friends and say, God, you know, I don't know what's going on. I wish someone would do this. And they got tired of me complaining about it. So they said, well, you, they said, why don't you do it? You, or, you know, you can't do it better. And I said, you know what? Yes, I can. And so I started the website at that point. And the first profile I made was Darkest Dragon. So I remember this would have been, gosh, when I was really getting out of like, I was a WWF kid. And then the, the thing that really kind of drew me to other wrestling was through the late 90s, early 2000 after mags and stuff like this, where you would get photos of like this. And I remember before I really dove into Torimon and Dragon Gate, I remember like just seeing like randomly, I don't know how they would get it, it'd be like one photo of like Milano and something like that. And, yeah. and, and, and I'd like raise my eyebrow, but I was in high school. I mean, like that was like the, the start of Ring of Honor. And then in Dallas Fort Worth, where I grew up, there was random indies that would bring up Shawn Michaels students that I would get to see on uh, UPN 
they would buy UPN time buys, but it was something that, at least for me, I remember the whole uh, strong style spirit ring that got me through like all this. I remember the, like Osaka Hurricane, and then at the time it was DG USA, and all of that kind of like formed a circle that I know, Case, you probably did it. That was probably before you even accessed the internet. To be quite yeah, honest, pro- I mean, probably I was going back when we were doing notes for some of the Kness stuff that, that we covered recently. And then when we were diving into the first few years of Torimon a few months ago, and I was using the Wayback Machine to go back to all of Jay's various sites. And oh no, it's still there. It's embarrassing. It, it, it's still there. And then I feel like every other time I would click on a save page, it would just link me to your new website also. But I, I managed to find what I need, and I really enjoyed reading your in real time like 2003 tv recaps uh it's it's very interesting to hear you or i guess to read your words rather of you being very excited about Toriumon x coming to japan that was my big highlight oh god yeah um yeah a lot of that stuff i don't i don't stand by it anymore that's why it's totally de- <laughs> that's why it's totally deleted from the internet but no it went went on a journey like we started the first website was on angel fire and then it moved to tripod and then mike you might remember this is the, the shining wizard network yeah yeah websites. No, yeah. i went to that and then i moved to um the strong style thing uh like the pro rest fan uh network before uh, close, closing down in 2009 and then reopening as iHeartDG. And it was that until the end for, God, that was about a decade. And with and with Kness, like, just just in general, oh, as we were going into the early Torimon guys, the, you, you really had, like, the veins of where people came from. You would have people that were straight from Nakapon that went straight through there. And you had, Kness had a pretty interesting route getting into Torimon, especially considering who his contemporaries were on the Indies before he got into Torimon. And then it, it wasn't necessarily like the same as like how Mochizuki and some of the others were, were affiliated with Tenru with WAR. And I thought that that was something that w- with him, I was always kind of piqued my interest. And I've recently started to kind of look into like, okay, wrestle Yume factory. And then I, I've not found that, the matches he had in Michinoku Pro, but I, I I feel like that that was something that with like the Makoto character going into uh, him gained, him losing the mass the the match against Taru and then coming back in it as Darkness Dragon. He in a lot of ways I've kind of felt like at least initially in retrospect that he kind of blazed his own path into the uh, Dragon system in a way. His story is amazing, really. I mean, like his 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 story is one, is one of those things of rejected at every single turn, but through sheer talent and you know, like sheer talent winning out. Um, as we could tell, I could tell his story all the way from the beginning, and that he, he was a he grew up. He was a full on New Japan Pro Wrestling fan. And all he wanted to do was be a New Japan pro wrestler. So he went to, he was a skinny, like a little skinny kid, and he went to the Hamaguchi Gym. He was a Hamaguchi Gym, and this would be, so this would be 93, 94, or maybe 94, 95. Um, he was working a part time job to pay for the, membership to the Hamaguchi gym because the Hamaguchi gym at that time was 
there were two ways to get into New Japan. If you lived outside of Tokyo, you would, you know, send in your application, and if they liked it, they would bring you in for an interview and and the test. Or you could go to the Hamaguchi Gym, and once a year, um, Hase would come and proctor like proctor an entrance exam. And um, so for Kness, Kness was short. You know, he's a hundred. You know, 170, you know, 170, whatever. New Japan, even still to this day, for um, applicants has a hundred. It's a, a 180 uh, height restriction. If you're shorter than that, your rejection, your application is going to get rejected outright. So he went to the Hamaguchi gym. He put on, you know, 20 kilos. He was 65 kilos when he joined. So he bulked up to 85. In that first year and took the entrance exam it was it's like 100 100 squats 500 push-ups and then like sparring in the ring and then like hey kid cut a promo like that sort of thing and uh so he went he did it all he passed everything but they rejected him because he was too short hase said look you know someone your size has to really stand out to get in so he the test was the same day every year so he had to essentially from that day had to wait exactly one year to train. He had exactly one year to train and prepare. Um, and believe it, like the guy that made it in over him from that test was uh, Yutaka Yoshie. Oh my god! Um, maybe people don't know who I'm talking about. If there, if during like the recent like uh, people posting stuff in remembrance of scott hall there's um like a little video clip of him laughing at a guy's haircut from a new japan match um i've seen i've seen that floating around on twitter quite a bit over the last over the last week but that's um the guy who who got picked over over kness to get into new japan so anyway a year passes he trains he trains and he you know he takes the same test uh, the following year and does like flawless in terms of performance, like the squats, the sparring, the pushups, you know, does it without losing his breath and he gets rejected again. And Hase just says, look, you're too short. So um, he has to give up on new Japan at that point, because due to his height, he's just not going to get in no matter how good he performed at the test. But this was the same time as the first J-Cup, and in the first J-Cup, this is where Great Sasuke made his kind of entrance on the world stage, or be, you know, became known outside of um, the indie circle. Indie circle. So he's, you know, he was, you know, Kness was a, you know, he was a New Japan fan, but seeing Sasuke had a huge impact on him. Of like, wow, there's rest, there's wrestlers like this outside of new japan and it just so happened that michinoku pro wrestling was taking applications so he sent his resume sent everything in uh they called him they brought him up to iwate to do the entrance exam which was like exactly half of the new japan entrance exam so it was 500 squats 250 push-ups and then you know the other all the other stuff uh sasuke passed him on the spot so he joined he joined Michinoku Pro Wrestling, um, trained there. He Gamma was his uh, contemporary on there. Those they debuted on the same day, but um, like in terms of like his matches in Michinoku Pro, he only wrestled like he had his debut match, um, 
and then he only wrestled Taka on in like squash matches on the undercard. So there was probably nothing that actually was ever. It was just small house shows throughout Tohoku. I think he only worked on one series, and then otherwise, like he was just regular trainee. Like he was the guy that Taka perfected the Michinoku Driver two on. Like when when he was developing it. So like in the dojo, he would just drop Kuness on his head over and over. That's quite the honor. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and like the other thing he said he picked up from that, like he wanted to, like he wanted his finisher to be the moonsault. And uh, so he would just go in, he was in, in the dojo practicing the moonsault day in, day out, trying to have like this perfect moonsault. And one day Taka just goes to him and says, look, if that's the move you get known for, you're going to have to do it every single night for the rest of your life. And think about what's what it's going to do to your knees. So that's where he's pretty much stopped wanting to be a high flyer. So you can, uh, but um, he ended up leaving Michinoku uh, not too long after that, just due to um, circumstances, you know, bullying, you know, the standard, you know, all the stuff you would hear about '90s Japanese wrestling dojo culture. Um, got bullied out. He ended up leaving, bouncing around the Indies. Um, going to he worked in he wrestled in Big Japan and then uh, Wrestle Yume Factory, like you said, um, just under under his real name. He wore. I don't. Have you ever seen any of his like um, red red tights, red red spats matches? Under I've his been real trying. Name? I've been trying to find that over the last few weeks and I haven't found um, any of it yet. Reach out to like, like I know Jeff Lynch, if he's still around has a lot of, has a lot of that stuff, but um, the wrestler he wanted to emulate was actually uh, Chigusa Nagayo. So that's why he originally was wrestling like in like the red tights and the red, the red kick pads. But um, the more interesting story is how he got into Torimon, because you know Mochizuki was a part of Buko Dojo. Buko Dojo were competing in Wrestle Yume Factory, but they weren't like affiliated there. You know, Buko Dojo was right. its own independent office, and they just got they got bought out. Um, like the it was orig- it was presented as like a merger like buko dojo and ultimo dragon gym are merging together but it was essentially just you know taru and um chocoball actually were um local promoters in kobe so it was essentially them um joining merging with um the ultimo dragon gym but it was essentially a buyout it was like buying their prom- buying the promotional um, office that Taru and Kobe and Chocobo Kobe were were running, and it just happened to include Mochizuki. <laughs> so, like, totally totally incidental. But where Makoto came in was, uh, do you uh, Mas- Masaji Aoyagi, the karate guy that right. wrestled? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So um, Kunes was his valet, and. Uh, Aoyagi had, you know, the connection with Ultimo Dragon, and essentially they ran a show, one of the first Torimon shows in Nagoya. Um, you know, Aoyagi was competing on that show, and he had, you know, Kuness was there as his valet, and he 
um, basically went to Dragon and said, um, you know, if you could, you know, this kid's talented, maybe you could do something, if you could do something with him. And Dragon took that as Kuness was like his pupil and like his student. So he was like, oh, well, you know, if he's asking me to do this favor for his student, I can't say no. Not really understanding that it, the relationship wasn't that deep. Like he was just like kind of like his valet and his assistant. So, <laughs> so so he was his bad guy basically yeah yeah literally yeah like he was essentially the you know the the young boy doing the young boy duties for him but dragon thought that he was like his student so he invited him to mexico um and said yeah you know i can if this is your kid i'll you know i'll do something with him you know we'll find something for him so um he said come you know come to mexico had to, you know still had to pay for it so he had to work like he had to go and do factory work at night for two months to save up the money to go to mexico um went there for three months where they you know it was like all right you know you're talented but you're you know you're kind of pudgy um you're not particularly remarkable so we have to give you a character so they gave him like the visual k rocker character which eventually evolved into it turned from that into like straight vampire character. <laughs> um, when you know, so he came three months in Mexico, came back and uh, did that for a year. Um, he joined Crazy Max for whatever reason. Like uh, Crazy Max had five people, but they wanted to push. Uh, Chocoball as a babyface because he was one because he was a promoter in Kobe, so having him as a heel was kind of counterproductive. And two, it was um, thought you know, they thought he was good looking, so like it was better to have him as a as a babyface with Mochizuki. But then you know that's a totally different story. But Crazy Max needed a guy who needed a, a fall guy because the other guys weren't going to lose on. Um, the house show circuit so they brought him into crazy max but it just didn't didn't work out yeah. no i i rewatched that uh january 2006 man that you tweeted about a few days ago yeah that's not awesome. it matches unbelievable and I, I i'd seen it before but hadn't seen it in a number of years and kind of forgot just how good it was but i i knew the names of the match but i didn't realize the pairings i just kind of assumed that Makoto was going to be with mochizuki and then he showed up on the crazy max side and i completely forgot that was a part of his career yeah um basically like they kicked or, or chocoball turned on them on like september it was like the september korokan show then the next day they had a show in yokosuka and they invited makoto on the spot and then like after that like they did he was just a part of crazy max with no real explanation attached to it and but yeah was like, he he doesn't really fit the vibes of that unit but he was also really good at the match that january 2000 tag so i'll, I'll take the good with the bad on that one yeah no, i mean he was he was good but um you know the character wasn't the character wasn't hitting um and they kind of had the story where he didn't get along with taru essentially the entire time they were there and he lost so they did the loser leaves match um you know he got beat left Torimon. And then Darkness Dragon shows up a month later, and the interesting thing is, like Makoto, even when he l lost Taru, he was still like kind of like this pudgy, like you know, like kind of like you know the pudgy vampire. But when Darkness Dragon showed up, he was like super ripped, like his physique was totally different. So no one, 
it's interesting to look back in retrospect because if you watch the timing, it's like totally obvious, you know, like, okay, this guy, you know, this guy leaves Torimon forever. And then a month later, this weird mask, you know, this mysterious mask guy shows up. Like everyone would instantly figure it out these days. But like no one made the connection when it happened. Everyone thought it was like, um, everyone actually thought it was this the Canadian guy, uh, Brett Como, the guy that did Ultimate Dragon. Um, right, like, yeah. The I dark, remember Brett Como. The, the dark, it was like Ultimo Dragon's Darkness Dragon equivalent in WAR. There was a guy, Ultimate Dragon. So everyone thought it was him coming back to reprise the character. Like no one made even made the connection that it was Makoto. Everyone just kind of assumed he went back to the Indies or left wrestling or whatever. Like, and he said that he lost, he dropped 13 kilos in three weeks just so he could change his body type. So no one would instantly figure out it was him and like also, you know, change his style, didn't do any of his old trademark stuff, didn't do any of like the the little flying stuff or anything. So he would become a totally different wrestler. Not to jump too far ahead of the timeline, but it's am I I believe I read something about the Kness KZ relationship partially being based on. Uh, him really encouraging KZ to diet and train and get his body in proper shape. Is that true or did I, am I misremembering something? No, it's, it's true. Um, basically when, when, when Tozawa left and, you know, KZ was like, okay, it's time for me to take the next step and, you know, graduate from this, co- you know, the comedy character. Like the first thing he had to do, you know, maybe people don't, newer Dragon Gate fans maybe don't remember KZ wrestling in the, you know, like the overalls or like KZ always wrestled in a shirt or like a baggy, uh, baggy overalls. Cause you know, it's upper body business. Right. Um, so when, it, <laughs> when it came that time, you know, Kness was one of his teachers, you know, Kness was one of the coaches during the time that the, the 2006 class was coming up. So there was always like that kind of, you know, teacher and student relationship there, but Kness is, you know, known for his ability to diet and training like his, he still comes in to, you know, teach the guys, you know, like ab training and leg training, like that's, you know, Kness's thing. So he helped KZ get his diet on point, put his training regiment together to help him, you know, get into shape. So when he took the shirt off, you know, he would, he would look good. Yeah, it worked out. It did. And that's something about Kness that I think that newer fans, just because of like how the network is and everything like this, when they might have come in, like Kness would like always because I remember he was doing bodybuilding competitions right when like the zombie veterans became about, and everyone was like, "Wow, Kness got shredded," and it, and it makes a lot of sense that he is the uh, impromptu dietitian of the uh, roster given the fact that like that like going from makoto to uh to darkness dragon he was able to shed that much weight that quickly i mean he put it on as you're as you're saying like when he was a hamakuchi gin gym he was able to put on the weight but he also shows he's shown countless times that he was able to kind of just focus down and just get ripped yeah and considering you know he's a guy with long history of shoulder and neck trouble to be able to lift like that to get into that shape it's kind of remarkable yeah i started started to distract i know we were on the timeline of him just becoming darkness dragon and i was enthralled by that so please continue but i want to make sure i had that kz connection so 
so now we're into you know darkest dragon shows up and um one of the things to to go back to as as makoto he was still doing a, like a lot of high flying stuff like um like you know like the vampire scissors is the the main example but also he had like a really nice like a sp- springboard kneel kick things like he would still fly a little bit but as darkness dragon he didn't do any of that you know th- going back to you know the advice that he got in michinoku pro wrestling but you know the thing that really sticks out about darkness dragon when you watch his matches is how visually striking all of his offense was you know it was you know, the Darkness Buster, the D3, and then, you know, later when he would come up with all the counters, you know, like the Judah and the Soul No Chazelle and all those things. But everything about him was so visually striking. It just jump, you know, jumps off the screen at you. And I know that there's probably a lot of people, you know, the thing about Kness that when you think about the times that maybe in the Western fan base where there were big explosions of interest in Dragon Gate, those were all, Kness always missed those windows. So um, like post ROH six man, that was the two year period where he was doing nothing but comedy matches on the undercard because of his, because of the, her, the cervical hernia. And then when people came in during blood versus junction, you know, he got hurt right. Like literally, you know, two weeks before that started. So, you know, if he didn't, doesn't get injured in that match, he would have been fully in those, um, all the junction three versus blood warrior stuff. He would have been a key player in all of that and would have got some visibility there. Um, you know, like his two big runs, you know, the 2010 run with Kuneska, that was, you know, 2009 was a, a low point for popularity, and 2010 was very much a rebuilding year. So a lot of people didn't see that. And then, you know, the run with Mad Blanky was pretty short. Um, you know, that whole period, that was only about a six-month period. And then after that, he was, um, you know, back. He was in the gym. He was just part of the Jimmies. Um, or even that little three-month run in 2013 that led up to his Dreamgate match there was not a lot of buzz about Dragon Gate at that time. So I think for the most part, his big active active periods after 2003 were during the, the biggest downtimes in Western fandom. So I think that he's just not a character that people have seen the peaks of. And I would say that as someone that like, people will be like, some wrestlers will be like, oh, people... What footage should I go watch? So go put so much footage to watch there. Get some ideas. Some of the stuff he does is like his inventiveness, like that is just missed out on just because, like as you're saying, like post 2006, 2011, 2013 were just not times that Dragon Gate was at the forefront of people's minds. Like, I, I it's very hard to kind of like explain in a lot of ways. Like he became known as kind of this technical guy who was able to. Well, when he was in Brooklyn Feud, he'd figure out the other wrestlers and find out their moves and make them pay for it. And it's such a cool aspect about it that sadly not a lot of people have had an opportunity to check out in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. Before before Hill was the great brain, Kness was the great brain in his ability to figure his opponents out. And you know, if you've never like if people are listening to this and they've never really seen maybe they've seen the ma- the mask match, but that's about it. You know, the network now is up to the point where you can watch the entire darkness dragon arc 
um, you know, from debut in August 2000 up to, you know, the mask match with Dragon Kid and see, you know, everything and watch him evolve as a wrestler and watch him evolve as a threat to Dragon Kid in the sense that, you know, Dragon Kid never didn't never beat him in that two years leading into the mask match, which is like with Dragon Daya and Daya Inferno, you know, Daya was beating him <laughs> repeatedly for most of that year and a half with Dragon Daya only really beating him in, in tag matches, but anytime they met in a singles or anything, you know, it was Daya getting the win, whereas Darkness Dragon was beating Dragon Kid around the horn. And not just that, Darkness Dragon was also a threat outside of that world. You know, like most of the time when you're brought in to be that type of character and again you know, Daya Inferno is the great is the best example that we could use as a recent point of reference because Daya Inferno you look at the, that time that six month period where Dragon Daya was injured where there was nothing for him to do you know he was just a guy in undercard tags and was losing like with no direction whereas Darkness Dragon was you know if Dragon Kid was injured or if Dragon Kid was doing something else Darkness Dragon was slotting in with M2K and, you know, winning the UWA trios titles by beating other people or winning singles championships in other feuds. So, you know, he was, he was the rival for Dragon Kid, but he was also very much his own wrestler that was more than capable of existing outside of that bubble. Just in case people don't know the story, can you kind of explain his importance to the initial launch of the Bravegate title? and his various, you know, happenings with that title over the years? Sure. Um, so the Bravegate um, has its roots in the, the NWA Welterweight Championship. The NWA Welterweight Championship was brought to Dragon Gate. It was originally for Dragon Kid, of all people. Um, he wrestled, like, what, was it Dr. Cerebro? And it was, like, the championship that it went from, you know, it was him, and then Sua had it, and then Arakin had it. Um, but it was when Darkness Dragon won it. Like, first it was it was Susumu and Saito had a big feud over it, but then Kuness won it from Saito, and that moved into, that's when Yoshino showed up is when Kuness was the champion. And those two had, so you guys said you did an episode about it. So, you know, an entire, basically a year's worth of matches where they would, um, you know, first Kuness was the, cha was the champion, Yoshino beat him. And then that's when Kuness got injured for the first time, was when they were scheduled to have their first championship match. And Kuness had to vacate it. Um, Yoshino ended up winning it and then held it until the title got retired. But it was because of like they were kind of like the prototype, the prototype Bravegate style matches. Like a lot of the stuff you would see, you know, most recently with um, you know Fujiwara and Dragon Daya. You know that style that is like Bravegate esque. Um, you know the matches you would see like with you know with Pack and Ricochet, you know, like those high flying, high speed, incredibly technical types of matches. You know their rivalry became known for that. So when it came time for Dragon Gate to create its own championships, they wanted to have another championship that could continue that, that lineage, that, and, you know, replicate that. So they created the Bravegate Championship. And it was originally, um, Kuness being a huge Dragon Ball fan, had the, um, you know, you got to collect the eight Dragon Balls. So they had like the eight pieces on the front of the Bravegate 
to, you know, each challenger had a piece of it. So whenever, whenever the Brave Gate was vacated and it, you had to just scatter the Dragon Balls to the corner, there would always be like the eight-man tournament and everyone got a piece to put it back, back on the championship. So, you know, him and Yoshino were the founders of that division. Yeah, and, and it's something with like Yoshino and him and taking the time to really kind of watch the matches of that feud. Like after the Dragon Kid feud and unmasking Doofixer, the real Doofixer, becoming Kness again, it, it feels like in a lot of ways that as you're saying, like he was able to do the Dragon Kid feud and then he was able to do N2K things. It, fe- it feels like in a lot of ways that late 2002 up until when he got injured phase with him and Yoshino really was like the rise of a style that I, I mean you we could clearly see I mean you mentioned Dai and Fujiwara that like just the precision that that series had even throughout the years even after injuries and going from the sexy Tarzan to the speed star just like his ability there and like the chemistry of those two became something special in a lot of ways that I, I think that's one of the reasons why we decided we originally were going to like pick a couple of episodes and then we ran late on one show. We're like, let's just do a whole Yoshino and Kanessa episode. And just like we're watching this stuff, it's like something that you don't get to see that often within within Dragon Gate, especially like a series that evolves like that. And in a lot of ways, as someone who holds uh uh, Darkness Dragon and Dragon Kid at Absolutamente as my favorite match in the uh, whole entire history of the Dragon System. Rewatching that kind of gave me a rewatching the Oshima matches kind of got me a special appreciation for the kind of wrestler Kness became before his first of his major injuries. Yeah, that's it's unfortunate because he was legitimately, and this is the stuff that's going to be going up on the network in the coming months. The peri- the post Darkness Dragon pre injury period he was the best junior in the world for that four to six month period before the first shoulder injury so i'm glad a lot of that people are going to be able to have access to to that time period very soon um so i hope people i hope people enjoy it the other thing with the the yoshino feud is kind of the opposite of the dragon kid feud in that kness actually never beat yoshino in a singles match so for, yeah, it, we we realized that when we were watching those back to back to back was Yoshino goes over. And I, I think to your point, Jay, of, you know, Kness had really bad luck within our bubble of getting hurt at the wrong times. The other thing that might not, not hurt his legacy, but the reason people might not think of him in the light that others do is, you know, we talk a lot about how you can see so much of the Drangate influence in every other major wrestling company now. But the thing I realized watching Yoshino versus Kness, there's nothing in wrestling that looks like those matches right now. There's no one that's copying their formula, and it's a shame. I think wrestling would be better off if people sat down and watched those matches, but it's hard to even put a uh, a modern-day comparison on Kness and his prime because no one really wrestles like him. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that maybe maybe Alex Shelley is the closest modern American equivalent to that in terms of guys who are that you know that good. But other, yeah, otherwise, that's a good, that, you know what? That's a good comp. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, he, he used the Darkness Buster for for a long time too. <laughs> um, no, he's a, a very unique wrestler, and that's one of those like growing up as a, 
one of the maybe maybe knocks against a lot of us indie guys now is that you know the rest the wrestlers that are coming up now are guys that were tape traders in the 90s and they learned all the wrong things from the tapes that they watched or you know whatever it is that people say but kuness was very much a student of wrestling you know that's why he want you know he wants his last match to be in cork and hall because as a fan climbing the stairs to get into cork and hall is still something that you know he remembers every single time he did it so there was no there was no better place for him to have his retirement match so being a student of wrestling and just wanting to absorb it and understand all the little intricacies and just be the best pro wrestler he could be let me ask you this jay uh turn the tables on you for a second you're calling this show Kinesis' <laughs> retirement match. You've called Yoshino's retirement. You've called Doi's second Dreamgate win. You've called a lot of big things over the uh, few years you've been doing English commentary. On a on a personal level, where does the Kinesis retirement show rank for you in terms of the things you've called? This is the top. This is, the, I mean, purely on a purely selfish level. Um, maybe that the first Torimon reunion show is close, but. Um, getting to be there for this is 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 kind of a big deal like if this was if this was the last show i called i'd be i'd be fine with it like i I could call it a career after this and it would be perfectly fine good i'm glad you're going to be in the building for that yeah yeah i mean even even just being in the building would be enough for it but to be able to announce on it and be you know be able to you know tell his you know tell his story and you know give real time translations of everything that's going on is is pretty cool pretty cool with kness like we've talked we've touched on darkness dragon and dragon kid we've touched on kness and yoshino something that i that i know you've brought up before with uh with him and with especially with the time frames that he was very prominent was the kneska tag and how it was really one of those forefathers of the Twin Gate division along with Doyoshi and Arayawa. Uh with him teaming with Susumu like on this last night and I mean really those two guys for a lot of for, for a lot of the careers uh Kness was kind of tied to the hip to Susumu Yokosuka in a lot of ways. H- how do you think his legacy within like the Twin division and as like a tag team wrestler you think it, he's going to leave coming out on April 7th? Yeah, I I don't think that um I mean Kuneska you know maybe there are other teams that had better matches, you know, I think that um since a lot of a lot of people weren't watching, they only had one reign as Twin Gate champions and then there was the one other run as Summer Adventure Tag League, you know, with the Summer Adventure Tag League. So, even for being a famous famous tag team in terms of like high profile matches they actually don't really have that many of them outside of that one run in 2010 and a lot of that was spent against deep drunkers so it wasn't that good um but they're you know they're the team that set the standard there were no there were no tag teams in torimon japan there were units and they were you know them and also you know kondo and brother i mean those were the first two real tag teams and you know kondo and brother were gone not too long after that so you don't have that legacy of them even though you know they weren't maybe wrestling strictly tag matches but you would have you know final m2k matches where it was kineska plus somebody else or jimmy's matches where it was kineska 
plus someone else and you would always get you know their double teams and all that so i think it's going to be you know they're always gonna, them and doyoshi are going to be the two teams that go down as the when you think of tag teams in dragon gate wrestling you know that you know set the standard in dragon gate for tag team wrestling it's going to be those two teams and it's something that at least Kaneska, I mean, originally Susumu and Kondo were the tag team in Mexico. Like that, like they came together, at least it seems from what I know, kind of like Kanda gets injured and retires. And then you, you have to have Mochizuki very soon after was already out of M2K. So it made sense that like these two guys kind of gravitated toward each other and they produced like such chemistry immediately. I mean, something that newer fans might not know is Kaneska, to my knowledge, are still the only tag team to have like a big match theme. Like there were the mashups of Doyoshi and Doyama, but like this was the one that had like the special theme for those two. And it's it, it, it's something that it, as soon as they announced that, all right, April 7th, he's going to have his final match. It's like, oh, it's going to be a Kineska match and there's going to be Dragon Kid attached to it. It's just figuring out who would be tagging with Dragon Kid. And then as we've discovered with KZ, it seems like it's the most fitting uh, retirement match possible for him in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know, he said, you know, he's he's very concerned um because you know, he's not he's not in good shape. Like um he's been saying, you know, I've got one match left in me, but the reality probably is that he doesn't even have that in him. But there's kind of, you know, the the mythical aspect of when he's next to Susumu, his body does, you know, his body does things that it's not normally capable of. You know, which was the that was the big set that was the line from the Mad Blanky Jimmy's unit disbands match where you know he liked Mad Blanky he was having fun you know he didn't want to see them break up but when he's out there and he sees Susumu in trouble his body just starts to move on its own and leading to him you know betraying them and he's hoping that he gets one more um, one more aspect you know one more night of that out of this but he also knows that if he can't go he can you know these are three guys that he can rely on to you know carry the match through to the end and you know carry carry him essentially yeah i'm looking forward to it i think it's going to be i think it's going to be a really emotional evening i mean you're you're much more connected to him than i am but we're hitting a point with these dragon gate retirements where they're going to start coming more and more frequently it seemed like it was maury and then nobody and now we hit Yoshino and then Kness, and it, I mean, it makes me sad as a viewer, but the positive in here is that Yoshino passed down his moves, and I thought that would kind of be the end of it because it was just a Yoshino thing, but Kness passing down his moves is such a great piece of storytelling that Dragon has been able to use. Yeah, it's cool. Um, you know, he um, has passed, I guess he's given them all away and it's up to the wrestlers now for, you know, when and where they, they reveal it. Uh, you know, he gave, he gave the darkness buster to Yoshioka because Yoshioka, his you know, year and a half as diet Inferno means he understands how to tap into the darkness. So it was only fitting that he gets the darkness buster and, um, UT wanted one of the two moves. He wanted either the Alki Hikari or the Hikari Noa, but Kness felt that those are the two light moves. You know, Hikari means light, and you know those two moves he sees them as a set. So he gave them both to UT because he wants UT to be to be the light. 
it it's it's something that with him and with like giving those moves and uh, a question that I had written down just because this is for my own edification uh, during the Yoshino series, Yoshino does this variant of the Soul Naciente with like the like a leg trap figure four. Do you know what he called that? Because we uh, were trying to figure this out on air. Uh, the Byakuya. Byakuya. Okay. Byakuya. It was. Um... So Sol, Sol Naciente is Rising Sun, um, and then Kunas had the Sol No Chazel, which was the um, the Setting Sun, and then the Byakuya is like um, the, mid, the Midnight Sun, like um, when the sun doesn't set at night. All right, I think that it, 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 it's something that like that's something that I really stuck out to me watching the like the series matches like yeah no Yoshino's never done that against him and against someone else and the fact of like Kness is the person like the brain project was his nickname for the longest time like being able to like have like these things and have it rub off on him and one of the things like with him like giving away the moves and you know giving vampire scissors to Daya giving darkness buster to yoshioka it's something that i'm wondering as a fan it's like is he maybe going to like pull someone aside it's like you need to be the one that like develops the psychology to like figure out how to convert like the engranaje into something else for example that that, that's something that like talking about like granting the moves that that i'm kind of hoping comes out of this in a way yeah it'll be it'll be interesting like the vampire scissors was actually the opposite daya came to him and said can you teach me how to do this i want to do it and or and is it okay if I use it? And Kness was just like, "Do you really think I can still do this? Please go ahead, and, <laughs> please go ahead and do it, and you know, do it better than I did. do it better than I ever did." Um, the other stuff he's left, there's still he gave the D three to somebody, um, and he gave the Shoryukaku to somebody, but I'm not not sure who Shoryukaku, probably Fuda, if I had to if I had to guess somebody. Um, D D three. I don't know. D three should go to somebody. Like D three should should have gone to Skywalker, but Skywalker's a heel now, so I don't know if he's going to take it. Skywalker Jay, has other me... things on his mind right now. To be quite honest, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh. Jay. Let me ask you this: uh, as we kind of round out the Kness portion of the show, uh, obviously the Drank Kids stuff super famous. We talked a lot about the Yoshino stuff. We mentioned the six man tag from two thousand. Is there another under the radar or underappreciated Kness match that if you if you hope everybody listening to this can watch one or a few, feel free to list a few. What what, what would those matches be? Um, it's hard because there's like the stuff I would rec- the little run I would recommend is actually not on the network. Um, there's still some other like they've been doing um, matches where they get Kness and someone else to do commentary over matches. And there's, I think, three of those left. So, I, and I don't know what's going to come of that. What's going to come of that? But the, the series that I would recommend, if anyone could track it down, there was a period from January 2013 up to April 2013 where it was first. It was it was Kness against Shingo. No, it was Kness against Yamato. And then it was Kness and Arakan against Shingo and Yamato. And then it was Kness against Shingo. And then it was Kness against Shima for the Dream Gate in you know his only his only dreamgate championship match and probably the best dreamgate match i don't i don't i'm stretching by saying ever because there's a there's a bias for me 
from that, you know, since it's his only Dreamgate Championship match, certainly Shima's best Dreamgate Championship defense. Um, but w- one of the best Dreamgate matches of all time, and I'm hoping that one of these one of these leftover matches that are still coming to the network are going to be something from the, from this little series of stuff. But from stuff that's on the network right now, um, I mean, th- you can see both of his matches with Yoshino, um, World 2003, World 2013. Those are both there. Um, gosh, uh, the mask versus mask match with Dragon, you know, with Dragon Kid. Um, that's the most famous match, and you look at the 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 culmination of the story that you know from the the kid that couldn't get into couldn't get into new japan because he was too short got bullied out of michinoku pro wrestling by the referee bounced around the indies only got into torimon by mistake lost a loser leaves the unit match ended up still ended up being the guy standing in the main event of the biggest torimon torimon show in probably the most famous match in torimon history i mean that's you know talent gets you there so i mean if anyone hasn't seen that match they still they need to watch that and then, of course, his retirement match coming up on April 7th. Good plug. <laughs> so uh, also, I know this because when we watch this, they should be putting up the first uh, the, the, the uh, Yoshino versus him in the T2P ring match it's, from December it, soon. It's coming up. Yeah. So let's see. This month is going to be, let's see, September, September, October. So this is going to be, there's going to be some good stuff. There's, I think there's a, uh, NWA welterweight title match with, with, uh, Saito GM Saito coming up, um, on this month's episode, if not this month, next month, we also get, we get the, the do fixer storyline plays out first. So the next couple months are going to be, so he loses his mask m2k disbands because um conda retires so so magnum disbands m2k and darkness dragon wrestling without the mask but you know so there's a little period in between losing the darkness dragon mask and before he becomes puts the mask back on his canass where he's wrestling unmasked and he puts he puts together his own unit like he invites dragon kid and he invites rio saito to join his unit that he's going to call do fixer and um you know saito isn't sure you know he's a part of the you know the torimon main team he needs to get permission from mochizuki but at the same time you know there's dissatisfaction he's not happy you know mochis you know like mistakes are happening eventually to the point where he in anger quits the torimon you know the torimon home team quits on Mochizuki and says he's joining Doofixer and he goes over and says, please, please let me in to your unit Doofixer. And Kness is like, why are you asking me? This guy's the leader and Magnum comes out and turns out Doofixer is the old M2K. And the whole thing was a ruse just to cause trouble in the Torimon home army. And it succeeded. They, you know, Dragon Kid had almost, you know, come over to team with them and they got Saito out of there and he eventually comes over and it's just some of the most interesting storytelling that you'll see. I mean, that was the first most famous big swerve in Torimon history, I guess, you know, all the, 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 all the stuff that happened in January here that, you know, caused the big up, you know, caused the big, uh, um, you know, upheaval, you know, with, you know, Ita and Ishida getting kicked out and all that stuff that 
got people talking like this was one of the first times that uh, it happened so it's going to get going to be up on the network over the next two or three months so that's please look forward to that too well let us transition into modern times with that segue uh we talked the last time we talked jay on the show was leading up to yoshino's retirement and we weren't sure how that weekend was going to go we weren't sure what the next few months were going to look like and as it turns out you know now now that we're here in march uh new names new units new everything just uh, you know getting your temperature check on the company what are things you're liking right now um I mean, everything I, I like the pacing of the shows more than any more than anything i think that um it feels a lot like peak period torimon japan in how the, sh- the shows are paced out you know everything doesn't overstay its welcome there's a lot of variety on the undercards you know there's not a need to drag the matches out you know everything you know have you guys watched sambo from yesterday yet i did yeah you know everything eight minutes nine minutes 12 minute main yeah, event. Yeah, flew by. Flew Everything, by. you know, it's a two and a, two and a half hour show, six matches. Every, you know, everything is good. There's still that Dragon Gate thing of the the baseline level on the card. You know, all the matches are going to be good to a certain level and you know, the stuff that needs to, you know, the stuff that needs to stick out and be very good is all, is all very good. You know, the main event scene and all the story beats are hitting, you know, the young guys are doing well. And, you know, it feels like a company that, you know, I mean, it's still, I don't want to get too much ahead because it is still very much the re, a rebuilding period. And, you know, this is, you know, when you, when you're rebuilding a team, you know, sometimes the young guys get on a hot streak and, you know, the team starts winning and you get really optimistic, but then, you know, reality kind of sets back in and it comes back down to, okay, yeah, you know, these guys are still rookies and, you know, from an, you know, there's not much name value there. So you don't want to get too ahead of yourself on that, but the pieces are starting to fall, fall into place. And I think if we have this conversation again this time next year and there isn't, you know, things stay on this current trajectory that you know things are going to be back on track back fully on track very very soon and and speaking about like things being back on track and like the shows that was like talking about like the pacing and everything that was the thing that really took me aback when champion gate weekend was happening was just like it was like oh wow these shows are uh, people were asking like what should i watch like you know really yeah there's the uh there's the brave gate and the title matches, but it's two hours and it, you know, nothing's bad. Everything is a lot of fun and nothing overstays as well. And the story beats going on right now. It, it, it's something that I know case we've talked about w- with everything in COVID dragon gate kind of kept the same course, got the belt over to Ata, and then we're able to do the big uh, three-way war with red coming out on top and in a lot of ways, starting like the, the full reset that really happened on on august 2nd of last year with yoshino retiring it just feels in a lot of ways that everything has been like trending in a way that with all the beats happening and that's not even getting into how someone like takuma fujiwara is, has just like exploded in a lot of ways it, it's a very promising time and it seems to be the, it, it seems to be representing itself pretty well when you look at how attendance and like crowd noise accidentally happening like it it, it does feel like that we are at the at, at like the first start uh or the first steps of getting to a 
I, I don't want to say like 2005 or 2011 kind of like feeling Dragon Gate, but it does kind of feel like it's like entering that era on a really strong foot. Yeah, you know, it's interesting um, because um, the crowd's making noise um, is, you know, seen as a positive in in some circles and you know that like wow you know this match is so good that we've got kids screaming for dragon dia whereas like on the japanese side of things that it was actually like a big point of contention if you go and you watch the if you look in the like the youtube comments um for that video where people are kind of complaining about the parenting and like why why aren't your kids following the rules and things like that so like it's taken very seriously in, <laughs> in, in japan when the rules get broken like that like that was actually initially kind of like the talk that was overshadowing the match itself it was kind of it was kind of a bummer um but uh is there any light at the end of the tunnel on uh, crowd noise i i don't know man um you know if there's any any positive outlook i can give you as somebody that doesn't live there but as someone that lives in chicago who has uh for two years had about as stringent of covid restrictions as you could get in america once our omicron peak was on its way down we you know we'll see because saint patrick's day happens here and maybe there'll be a bunch of positive cases within this next week but once omicron subsided it seemed like we were through a really hard part of it but you know it's america and japan treats this much differently yeah i mean we've it looks like t- japan has finally peaked out of the omicron wave i mean with delta cron you know we don't who you know who knows if that's going to show up or not but uh state of emergency Ends tomorrow, but I wouldn't read too much into that um, because state of emergency really is completely and utterly ineffective. Like essentially, all that state of emergency could do was force restaurants to close early. Like that wasn't in terms of like events and everything like that. There was nothing like the state of emergency set of restrictions had no application to live events, you know, pro wrestling in particular. Um, they are looking at fully um, fully abolishing the uh, capacity caps that they had in place. It was still uh, like Corican was a- is back to full capacity now um, as of uh, end of last month, but it's not full capacity because they're keeping like a social a social distance section in for people that don't want to sit next to people, <laughs> which, um, so that's going to mean, even though Corican is back up to selling all the seats, it's not back to 17, it's not going to be back to 1700 people because they're not selling 1700 seats. Um, but as far as making noise, like that's was one of the things that was specifically called out in you know the article about them totally abolishing capacity caps was you could abolish capacity caps as long as certain other restrictions such as no shouting and cheering are followed so i i personally think it's backwards i think i've said this i think i said this on twitter before that i think that you need to allow cheering like i would rather have like i understand i understand you want to sell more tickets but um you know, it's kind of a chicken or an egg thing. Like, are people going to come back when the experience still isn't all that fun? Or are people still going to come back anyway? Um, you know, you look at a lot of the numbers that place that in a lot of these different venues and, you know, nobody is hitting 50% capacity. You know, you know, you look at Cork, you know, Cork and attendances and, um, you know, COVID attendance, you know, pandemic era attendances, I know, 
people need to have their console wars thing. Like you need to be able to argue over something and attendance numbers are the obvious thing to go to, where if you want to say, you know, my promotion's doing, doing better than your promotion, or if you want, if you, you know, it, but it's very much, you know, pandemic attendances are very much a valedictorian in summer school sort of, sort of thing <laughs> where, you know, yeah, you know, it's cool. Okay. You've got the best numbers, but like that's still only like if you're not selling, you know, in Cork and like if you're doing under, you know, 714, you know, you're not selling out. And that's to say like if you want to extrapolate what, you know, the numbers that you're doing, like if you're not selling out at 50%, then do you, what expectation can there be for you selling out at 100%? And this is, I mean, this is for every single, this is for every single promotion and, you know, groups like, you know, New Japan, Dragon Gate, they, you know, they have a track record. They were selling out before the pandemic. So it stands to reason that when the, you know, restrictions are limited, it's going to go back to selling out. And that's not, that's not going to be the case. You know, um, it's going to be a slow grind to get back up, you know, maybe like, let's say the Kness show will do. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many tickets they're selling or where, you know, where they're at. But let's say that they do over a thousand for that. I mean, that doesn't mean that Dragon Gate is back and they're going to be over a thousand attendants every single show in Cork and Hall after that. You know, that could be the dead cat bounce where okay, Knessa's retiring. This is the first show with full attendance. Let's go to this show, and then it goes back down to you know, you're selling seven hundred tickets, seven hundred, eight hundred tickets per show, with this, you know, and slowly ticking back up. And it's even worse for these, you know, these other promotions that are not doing 50% sellouts. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you guys all, think. All, all Japan did 200 in Cork and Hall last week. That was the, I, I don't know what the main event was, but all Japan did 200 in Cork and, and that building looked very depressing. Yeah. One of the uh, tag titles. I think it was all Asia. And they, but they had did, they did like 800 for, for a show. Like the, the and everyone was saying, "Wow, that's the highest Cork and Hall number since the beginning of the pandemic." Not considering the context of it was the first Cork and Hall show that sold tickets for the full setup. Which, okay, yeah, it was the best number of the pandemic, seven hundred and ninety or whatever people, but that's seven hundred and ninety out of full capacity, so it's not a good number, you know. And so you can spin these attendance numbers to fit whatever narrative you want you you want to you want to tell you know like if i want to big up dragon gate on something i can spin these attendance numbers to to do that if i want to defend a bad dragon gate number i can spin it to do that you know like the wakayama number the wakayama number was terrible it was 285 people or whatever it was but you have to look at the context of it was a you know it was a holiday but it was a wednesday so it's midweek wakayama's out in the middle of nowhere there's no you know there was no card announced of course it's going to do 300 people but at the same time it's 300 people you know it's not a good number but if i want to defend it i i can defend it like i just did you know and that you can do that for every single every single promotion so i mean i don't know you guys are in you guys are in the the heat of it and arguing with people about these sorts of things. I don't know what kind of <laughs> argument. I don't know what kind of arguments you're seeing, but I I, uh, I have hold on. I've held off from my full uh barrel like 
resuscitation of some promotions that I look at their numbers and I've heard enough things, enough reporting and be like, yeah, no, they did that. But also that there's been enough reporting of papering that everything's suspect, you know, it, it, um, it is comparative Bushiro promotions and cyber fight promotions. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of stardom talk right now. That's kind of blowing my mind. A lot of people <laughs> acting like stardom is peak all Japan women. And I, I'm just not seeing any data that says that, but that that's, that has become the main source within our bubble of, Oh, look at stardom's growth. And then Mike and I come across like bad guys. I'm like, yeah, but they're not touching what Dragon Gate is doing, even a in, even in a COVID capacity. Okay, uh, you know, start. You know, Stardom is going to be the tough. You know, Stardom is the hot thing, and there's no denying that Stardom has a lot of momentum. But and I, I do see a lot of Stardom. You know, Stardom is by far the number two promotion now. With you know, comparing attendance numbers, and I think the thing now is average attendance per show is the is the is the spin yeah. on that and that's true i mean it, it, it's true it's you know stardom runs you know stardom is running you know bigger venues they've run a lot of bigger show a lot of bigger shows getting into this year it's it's true but like it's not these two promotions could not be any diff any different in terms of the audience that they're trying to seek, you know, like the fan base is totally different. So it's not like stardom going up has no correlation to Dragon Gate going down and, and vice versa. You know, if Dragon Gate goes back up, like, like anything that isn't New Japan is a niche and it's, it's, it's chasing a niche audience and stardom is doing incredibly well in its niche. And I think the fair thing to say, you know, a lot of pe people, you know, because because New Japan is so far ahead of everyone, you know, that's the thing. Like the fight for who's the number two in Japan, right? Like they and everyone who has their favorite promotion is going to find the argument to make their their favorite promotion the number two in Japan. And it's a pointless argument because everything that isn't New Japan is a niche. There is no number two. It's very fair to say that Bushi Road Bushi Road promotions as a whole are far and away the number like the number one promoters in japan if not the world right now and that includes stardom in new japan and i know in terms of momentum of those two promotions like it's totally opposite because everyone says new japan is not good right now but it, you know but like other things like you know start stardom you know like their revenue doubled last year and it's like yeah that's because of all the cost cutting they did in 2000, you know, in 2020, you know, when they bought the promotion, they were losing money. So they had to, they had to do cost cutting throughout all of 2020. So it, of course their revenue is going to be doubled in 2021 because their overhead is, <laughs> their overhead is half. Yeah. And also and, the fact that Bushi road, like there's like, I I'm of the belief that stardom, it lends itself better to the Bushi road money machine than new Japan, just with the other products that Bushi road, produces yeah, of course of i mean there's a lot of synergy there and like i don't want to come off like i'm trashing stardom in this speech because i'm not stardom is awesome stardom you know stardom is great and they're doing well but the other thing like getting under the bushy road umbrella also lends you you know you get like if you, when you travel out you travel outside of tokyo like and you run small house shows you get bushy road promoters so suddenly you can get you can get 600 people in aomori are they 600 stardom fans no but it's still you know 600 people affiliated with Bushiro that are coming to see the show and it's all about the image you know it's like running osaka joe hall last year you know it doesn't matter that they it doesn't matter that the attendance number wasn't good because it's the image is now you know women's pro wrestling stardom 
stardom is women's pro wrestling and they've come back and now they've reached the point where they can run Osaka Joe Hall and it just it becomes fact it doesn't matter so for me and this is I'm going to bring it back around to bring this back around to Dragon Gate and stardom is the sense that Dragon Gate before the pandemic had you know they're going to do you know Cork and they're going to sell out they're going to do a certain number in Osaka they're going to do a certain number in Nagoya you know they're going to do you know whatever it is you know three to four thousand for dead or alive they're going to do six thousand for world they're going to you know they're going to sell out for dangerous gate they're going to sell out for gate of destiny whatever the number is and now we're at half of that and now the question is do does that half come back and i don't know whereas with stardom where the interest the interesting thing to to follow on that is going to be their attendance increased up to this 50% cap. So is their growth going to be when the cap is, you know, when that cap is gone, is that cap going to, is their growth going to stay linear on that? You know, we've seen, you know, it was, you know, 1400 in Osaka, Joe Hall, 1400 at, you know, 1400 in Nagoya, you know, so we've seen that, you know, their core audience is probably that will travel and see them outside of Tokyo is probably at around 1400 people. And, Will they be able to continue that growth linearly? You know, like the, after after the Buddha, after these sumo hall shows that they have coming up, like I've heard, I don't that they're not going to run that level, you know, those types of buildings anymore because it's not financially viable. Like it it makes more sense to you know if you're only going to get that number of people to run rather than run Osaka Joe Hall is just to run you know just run Edion. So you know if they could, but you know they've got money, they've got momentum, and. I, I I'm, wouldn't be shocked if they do it. I don't know. We'll see. But as far as the comparisons with Dragon Gate, it's a totally different thing. And Dragon Gate has never been concerned with that sort of thing. You know, you look at all the different time periods, you know, let's see, you know, 2005, when, you know, Noah was the top promotion, Dragon Gate was just doing what it did. And then, you know, Noah fell off and Dragon Gate moved up for a little while. And then Hustle came in and Hustle was the hot thing. And Dragon Gate kept doing their thing. And then Hustle fell off and Dragon, you know, Dragon Gate was still doing their thing. And then, you know, it's it's never been the business model to be concerned with what the other people are doing. You know, if other people are doing what they're doing, you know, other people are being successful, then it's just good good for them. But we've got... You know, we've got to continue appealing to our market and, you know, you know, keeping our fans pleased and trying to, you know, do what we do. Jay, the last time you were on this podcast, you mentioned that there was a concerted effort to draw more in northeastern Japan. And we've obviously obviously seen with Fujiwara coming from that part of the country, as well as Yamato, of course, that it seems like there are some stars that they can build around. Do you see outside of Tokyo between Espikento and Yuti and Nagoya and then Fujiwara and Northeast Japan? Are, are there positive signs towards there's being growth, uh, be, positive signs towards there being growth in those parts of the country? I mean, that's the thing, you know, it's because of the pandemic, you just don't know. I mean, like if you sell yeah. out, it doesn't, if you sell out, it doesn't mean anything, you know, it's, you know, Nagoya is is definitely hot right now because of SB. Um, I don't know if you, you know, saw there's, the there's actually, uh, 
the the number, but the SP Kento UT Bravegate match uh, outdrew the uh, Fujita Nakajima GHC title match uh, by not by a yeah, lot, but I that was it, that that's another you know you can it's t- two totally different contexts though yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. You're, you're comparing like like SB in particular is a huge draw locally and like I would I would it stands to there's they're, they're actually in Nagoya today like yes. you know 3 hours from 3 or 4 hours from now and I don't what was what was the NOAA number do you know off the top of your head the NOAA number I'm looking at right now was 643 643 okay so what did what did UT and like 680 something uh 7th actually did 713 Jesus Christ, uh, which, you know, today's show is probably going to do around that. And that's with no card announced at all. So it's not like, you know, SB versus UT was like this huge match that was out drawing. It's just, you know, this is Nagoya. Nagoya has always been a strong market. I mean, it's Dragon, you know, Dragon Kid. Ult- Ultimo Dragon is from, is from there. So going <laughs> all the way back to the beginning, you know, it's and then, you know, Dragon Kid is an ambassador to his hometown, which is just outside, outside of Nagoya. So it's just, it's always, Nagoya has always been a strong market just because of, just because of the roots. Um, and the other the thing that's very important is Nagoya still has a midsize venue that you can use. The, uh, the Nagoya Congress Center is, you know, it's at full capacity. It's a 1500, you know, 15 to 1600 seat building. And that's something that doesn't exist anywhere else in Japan anymore. You know, like Osaka, Osaka has Edeon, Tokyo has Korokan Hall, Nagoya has Nagoya Congress Center, but Star Lanes doesn't exist anymore. Sport Tyson Hall doesn't exist anymore. So that's something that limits, you know, for, for Dragon Gate, who wants to be a, you know, the, the lifeblood of Dragon Gate is being a touring promotion that comes to your hometown. You have a small town, Dragon Gate's going to come and bring, bring pro wrestling to your hometown. But for these faraway markets like Hokkaido and Sapporo, and this is also this goes for Tohoku, you know, the Tohoku region, the Northeast Japan region, you know, they have, you know, Sendai, Sendai Sun Plaza is kind of midsize, but like the fact that Gate of Origin is marketed as a big show shows that you know it's the market there is not strong enough to sustain running that that type of building multiple times a year yet. Um, where you know Hakata, you know Star Lanes is like you know the Korokan Hall of the South, or you know the Southwest Japan, and with with that being gone, you know it's you can't run Kokusai Center, you know like that's Final Gate, that's once a year, and having to run double headers in Across is less than desirable. I mean, yeah, you know you still get. You know, you sell 800 tickets to the two shows or whatever the number is, and that's that's fine. But that limits the overall number of eyes that are coming in. You know, maybe there's the same people going, you know, out of those 400 people, 300 of them are going to both shows. So that means there's only, you know, rather than 800 sets of eyes on the show, there's only, you know, 400 out of the 800 that are coming that are, you know seeing wrestling for the first time and that's the same in Sapporo you know Sapporo has nothing now I mean it's you know E1 Stadium is just like this little fucking soccer field you know it, it's tiny 
and it's you know you're running you run three shows over the weekend but it's essentially going to be the same people you know you run a fan tour that brings 100 people in that's 100 out of the you know 250 people that they can fit in there right now and it's it makes it very difficult to to grow because it's you can't sell enough tickets to bring the the, the number of new people in so it's 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 a struggle and at least for Sapporo and Hokkaido you always will have the people that are going to go there because it's the time of the year that they can go see their hometown guys as well. Yes, so yeah, yeah. They're going to go multiple times to go see BB Hulk and KZ. Yeah, you know that that's the other important thing and that's why you know the one of the big Dragon Gate things is the homecoming shows you know we've got um you know Nagoya is right now it's S, you know SB and UT um God, and I think next month there's Dias, right? Well, Diaz is in two days, um, and it's like already wow. It's Tuesday, yeah. It's a small town, <laughs> like that is a backwoods small town, and it's the first time Dragon Gate's going to be there. And having a wrestler from that town makes it possible. And and you know that is that is the fruit of being able to, you know, you bring wrestling to Nagano. Even though it was, you know, it's not his hometown, but it's in, you know, Miel Park or you know whatever venue, and it's the only time wrestling comes to that part, you know, to that town. So you go see Dragon Gate, and you get a kid who wants to be a pro wrestler, and Dragon Gate, Dragon Gate is the pro wrestling he knows, and he's like, I want to come back to my hometown with them in as a pro wrestler, and you know, bring pro wrestling to my hometown, and that's what you can do in Dragon Gate. And now he's going back as a double champion. It's going to be they've got a twin gate match against somebody um, that we'll probably find out after today. Um, that's coming up. And then next month they're you know Strong Machine J and Kai in Yokohama, and then UT and SB again, and then Shashioko Boy in Okayama. You know, there's all these homecoming shows coming up, and that's you know the wrestlers get to take ownership of it you know like okay you've got your home your homecoming show you've got a homecoming show coming up get back to your hometown and get out there and get your friends get the word out you know work with the local you know get on the news talk to the mayor do you know do whatever you gotta do it's like uh you know yamagata there's uh you know that was used to be real you know that was gm saito's uh territory and they would always run um um, Hill Sunpia, but now they're going to be there's going to be a show in Sato's hometown for the first time, and it's up to Sato, <laughs> you know, like he's got to go and make this show a success. Real quick, can we ask uh, injury updates on Sato and Kakuta if you have any? Sato, I don't know. Um, I know he's back home. Um, I don't know, like he, you know, he's got the bat, you know, he's got he had back surgery before he debuted like that was the thing that delayed his debut so i don't know if it's a problem with that or if it's something else but he's back home right now and with with hip it's you know up to his training and the timing it's like you know we're coming up it's coming up to be about a year and uh you know coming back at the exact same place that you were injured has a certain appeal okay. to it it has okay. a certain appeal to it i don't okay. know anything. I, I don't like, <laughs> like, like i don't i don't i don't know anything 
like in terms of like on like real talk i don't know anything like i had actually had heard the last thing i had heard was any time from january was when it would be potential when it would be possible and then when i asked in january it was just like oh he's training and then thinking of timing so it's it to me it feels like any day now um I was thinking maybe that he would be showing up at Corican to be in time for the a home. He would have a homecoming show in April, but the homecoming show is actually before Corican. So unless he shows up today in Nagoya, then that then that's probably not going to happen. But with him, it feels like any day now. Um, where he shows up and what he does, you know, it would. Him going back to Zebrats, you know that that was where he was affiliated. But Skywalker's there now, and you know there's various things. Well, that's good that he at least seems to be on his way back. Because as we approached a year, I was getting uh, Sora, Sora Fujikawa vibes of oh, it was about a year, and then he that's when he pieced out. And I I like Akuta so much, I'd like him to stick around. Uh, you mentioned the homecoming shows. We just talked about some great young guys. I'm curious if you can shed any light on just why there's been so many dojo graduates lately. Uh, obviously, they don't have the size restrictions that help, but is there a certain way they market it that is really appealing towards young wrestlers, or is it just that this is where people want to wrestle? Well, this is the fruit of the the, the peak period, um, like that 2013-2017 time period where things were super hot. I mean, these were where you know, all the kids in the crowd from there that wanted to become wrestlers because of that time period are coming of age and are able to come in. And it's just at this point, you're not going to get you're not going to get to the point where we know your name if you're not good enough to get there you know i mean like there's four the current future class there's four um nagano kato what are their names uh nagano kato nishikawa and edo um and you know that's four out of 13 so you know there's nine nine of them that didn't get this far so like you don't you just you don't get this far unless you're good enough to get here and then still you have to do you even after you've debuted you've still got to find a way to make yourself stand out and you know i know everyone's talking about takuma and uh i'm I'm s- slow in my roll on him <laughs> just because the last time I went all in on someone at this level, like within two years, he had dislocated his head twice and he's a DJ now. So I don't want to go. <laughs> I, I I'm sorry you're going to laugh at that, but that was phrased really funny. <laughs> like I, I don't, you know, like he's good. He's a super rookie, but he's still got a long ways to go. And same thing for me, you know, you know, Kota, has a long way to go and but you know you think about what we were talking about around this time last year about you know maybe the limitations that were keeping skywalker from being a total success as dreamgate champion you know limitations on his character or limitations on his charisma and things like that and now here we are a year later and skywalker is suddenly the most compelling character in pro wrestling so you know you just have to be patient with it and you know let let nature take its course on that and not force it. And From, some, uh, oh, go ahead, Mike, go ahead. And, and for something like Fujiwara, I, I feel like the super rookie supernova, however you want to call it, 
it it seems like that at least with him and his age and how he kind of in a way determined super young that i'm going to be a pro wrestler i'm going to go go visit my local school and i'm going to end up in dragon gate it seems like that's kind of a singular thing in a lot of ways that you just don't really hear about someone like like yeah like uh sb and kame came in so young as well but it uh, with like him being a super rookie in a lot of ways at least in my opinion it seems like that he forged his own path early on that kind of forced the hand. It, is my read of that situation off at all? Yeah, I mean, he was, and it's, he's in a class that it's very difficult to stand out because, you know, you've got, you know, you've got the Ihashi brothers who have their pedigree and they've got, they came in with all the fanfare. And then, you know, everyone else was good too. And, you know, it just, Talent had to win out on that, and I, in in December, uh, when we had the first the first time that those guys were on a show with English commentary, you know, I had to sat down. I sat down with uh, with Takuma and um, Fuda and kind of talked to them, got their background a little bit, and like Fuda was so well spoken and concise and able to answer all the questions I had, and. Takuma, not so much. And so I was kind of like, is this kid going to be okay? <laughs> and I was talking with, um, and, you know, it's like, okay, he's tall, he's jacked, he can, you know, he can move, you know, it's pretty clear that this, you know, that he was going to be good. But and I was talking with the producer and he's like, so who do you think, you know, who do you like the best out of all of this group? And I was like, ah, you know, I think that Sato is probably going to get the first push because he's the oldest and he's got the great backstory. And he's like, but, but, you know, Fujiwara you know, Fuji is good, but I'm not sure about the character. And he's like, no, Fujiwara is going to be, Fujiwara is going to be the guy. And, and sure enough, you know, by January, he was in these, you know, being thrown in as the random guy teaming with these other units and six man tags and standing out in those. I mean, there's still, you know, he's not, doesn't have like the confidence in character yet, but like he doesn't need it right now because he's performing at such a high level. So as long as he keeps performing like this, the character work. Is gold class catching on in Japan the way it is in uh, in our bubble, where gold class is over with pretty much everybody? Like that 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 debut, and then the subsequent Champion Gate weekend, everybody I talked to was in love with this unit. Um, not really. Um, you know, the people that like those three guys like are all in on it. You know, like in terms of like you know, putting together these three guys that have, you know, Kaito in particular, um, you know, putting him back with these groups, putting him back in, in a babyface group that um, allows his fans to, it's not like it was, I don't want to say that like his fans weren't, you know, cheering for him in RED because they were, but it makes it easier to cheer for him. You know, there's still very much the people that don't want. Well, you know, he, these are the bad guys, so I've got to cheer for somebody else, even though I like these guys. So putting him, putting him with Doi, makes it okay to cheer for him. So that allows them to go all in. So like those people, it's working 100% on those people. But the direction, you know, like the weird stuff with with Minorita has kind of left people confused. You know, it's kind of like a heel thing where they're using, you know, people kind of feel bad for Hayakawa. 
and then you know like the the four man trio thing and how like they kind of cheated to win the tri arcade if you think about <laughs> it um the entrance music being kind of cheap and like the kind of weird vague like heelish kind of approach that they were taking you know with ishida saying everybody's ugly and you know doi trying to keep everything on track but still being you know, very provocative in the way that they approach things everyone was kind of confused at the presentation of the group um but yesterday it looked like based on you know how they closed out the show it was a little more refined and and that it was just you know n- none of like the weird comedy and like the the abuse of the crowd and like Minora doing the well, I just don't understand sort of stuff, and that it was just okay. You know, we're the cha- you know we're champions. We haven't lost yet. Can you even imagine finding a group that can beat us? And Minora, and, you know, we're just gonna, we're going to go out, we're going to wrestle, and we're going to win. Period. You know that sort of thing. So it looks like they're getting a bit more of a direction on that and putting you know tightening up their concept a little bit. And now just the entrance music has to move from the demo phase and get completed, so it doesn't sound so cheap. <laughs> and then, then we'll be getting somewhere but like that and the zebrats entrance music are still just demos so like they're gonna they'll be they'll be better than they are gotcha all right jay so, we'll let you go in a second uh oh go, go ahead no that's i was nothing all right well we'll let you go in a second i have one more question for you that came up because in january we were doing some torimon rewatching um the first tour uh then i watched a lot of 1999 in order after that and some of the feedback we got on these episodes was, you know, our, the newer fans that came in either through, you know, World 2019 or got into Dragon Gate during COVID. I realized that a lot of our listeners don't know a lot about Magnum Tokyo, and he's a okay. weird blind spot for me, given that, you know, I started watching after he left, but he's also a bad wrestler, so I never really went back and, and watched him. It's a bit of a vague question, but just for people that might not understand who Magnum was can you sort of explain the star power that he had and the influence that he had while he was in Torimon and Dragon Gate? Oh, I mean, Magnum, Magnum was special. Um, I mean, it's to say he wasn't to say he was a bad wrestler. I think that that's that's um, that's not accurate. I mean, he was um, not the most elegant wrestler, and he broke he broke down when he, when his body broke down. I mean, he went from being he was you know ace and you know top guy and champion in Torimon you know in summer of 2003 to being a total bloated corpse by the middle of 2004 um like when he broke down he broke down fast but i mean he was you know shima was the a you know the you know the guy you know the ace so to speak but Magnum was what's what's even the word I mean he was the chosen guy in a lot of ways uh, even even more than that I mean the image of Torimon you know Torimon you know a lot of people would say you know Torimon is like this you know you go there and it's not it's not a it's not a wrestling show you know you're not going to like um you know a wrestling venue you're going to a nightclub and that's because of Magnum. And it's it's so it's one of the people know Tokyo Go as fucking Hirata's music, you know. And it's like not you know not even understanding that it's a parody of, of Magnum. 
you know and like it's like at this this next Tory Monroe reunion show like i'm terrified that the music's gonna hit and people are gonna think it's magnum and this dude's gonna come out but um you know he, without him like you know things like you know like natural vibes and the natural vibes dance you know like that doesn't exist without magnum um you know his the sheer amount of charisma and um mold breaking that he had maybe people know him from wcw and tokyo magnum being like a comedy guy i was actually just watching i was watching it was him against against virgil against vincent from oh boy, what a match. <laughs> 20, you know 28 seconds comes out gets backed in the corner gets put gets put in the fujiwara armbar taps out 28 seconds but so maybe maybe older people might remember him from that and like the comedy team with um disco and alex Wright. But um, or just kind of have this peripheral view of him kind of being the dancing guy, not understanding how important he was. And, you know, the way I break down, Tor- you know, Torimon has the, you know, the different time periods. You know, there's the first period, there's Crazy Max versus M2K. But the climax of Torimon, you know, where it peaks, um, World 2003, you know, when he wins the championship and takes over as, you know, the undisputed ace of Torimon and then like that little run up until uh the match with Milano collection at the end of 2003 I mean that's that's the final chapter of Torimon there because I mean that's when the company was finally put into you know into Magnum's vision and you know then when he you know he loses to Sua and goes away I mean that's like that's the DLC after you beat the game you know Magnum against Milano that's the end boss and then everything after that that lead you know that last six months of Torimon Japan into Dragon Gate that's that's like the epilogue because that's you know after Magnum that's when Magnum broke down and he couldn't go anymore and that's when Torimon Japan lost its heart and lost its soul because Magnum Tokyo was gone was gone and he when he came back it was never the same he had different entrance music and it was like you know it was just it just wasn't the same um I I don't know if I could point to great Magnum Tokyo matches because there probably aren't any but he's was I don't know what the modern comparison to him would be in the sense that just him being in the match guaranteed the match was up one notch from what it should be. Maybe someone like a KZ and, you know, like how, you know, KZ being in a match these days, you know, being in like in an undercard six man match, just his presence in the match takes the match up at least one, you know, one octave. And that, you know, that's what Magnum was, but it was beyond that. It was, it would be two steps higher because Magnum was in the match just because of his, you know, just because of his charisma. You go and you watch, let's say the four, you know, the first four way six man that when it was him against Milano, against Shima, against Mochizuki, it was just this whole different level than when anyone else was in the match. You know, maybe when it was Kondo, Dragon Kid, and Susumu, the match was better. But when Magnum was in the match, it felt bigger. And that, you know, that's what Magnum was. And, you know, he was, you know, he was a piece of garbage. <laughs> but, you know, with, without him, we don't get to where we are today. And, you know, I don't know if having him out uh, you know, I don't know if it's possible to have him at one of these Torimon reunion shows. I think he's one of those names that just won't make it. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what they have for June, 
but at the same time you you kind of can't not have him like you can't you don't need to make friends with him but at the same time recognizing him i think would be important for the for the torimon legacy i don't know i don't know if he's gonna be there or not i don't i i doubt i doubt it i mean he's been out of wrestling longer than he was in wrestling at this point but uh yeah. It also seems like after he left the first time and even before he came back to Hustle in a lot of ways, like he kind of closed that door. It seems like because I know like he had like the karate dojo business and I forgot how and I don't know if it was actually verifiable. He seems like the I saw a photo of someone who was supposed to be Magnum Tokyo and it was not looking a lot like Magnum Tokyo. And he seems like the kind of guy that. You know, if he's going to like show up to these shows, he wants to look like how he was looking like, and he kind of wants to leave that chapter behind him if he can't do that. Maybe that's reading yeah, a little I bit mean, too much into it. He wasn't. I mean, yeah. I mean, he was. He he was you know the former stripper AV you know AV actor character you know in the you know in small tights was in like t-shirt and long pants by, you know by the end because of how out of shape he was and i know he got back into sort of good shape you know he took a year off got back into shape for hustle but the hustle run wasn't very long um and geez, he's god how old is he now he's got to be 40 has to be around 50 yeah magna magnum tokyo is yeah he's gonna be he's turned 49 this year so he's almost 50 years old i mean not everybody can be mochizuki or these other guys that are 50 years old and in ridiculous shape you know and he was you know he was a guy that was not that was breaking down when he was so geez 2000 2006 is what 16 years ago so when he was 33 he was breaking down but you know to be a karate instructor you do have to sort of be in some sort of shape i guess i don't think he would wrestle if he came back you know maybe just make an appearance and you know he could come out and dance, and you know maybe have have like t-shirt on, and you don't really need to be in shape for that. You know you can do like Milano did. Milano came in, did a run in, did one move. You know, and everyone everyone thought, and it was the great it was the greatest thing ever. And you know I asked him afterwards, and he was just like, ah, did you see the cutter? Like I barely I could barely jump for that, <laughs> but it it didn't matter that he could barely jump for it because it was fucking cool. Yeah, I mean it's all about being over. I mean, and Milano, like I've actually been going through some of my old uh, programs I've collected and I went through the absolute Mento one and I was like, God, this guy was the coolest guy ever for a time period. Just yeah, like showing- he, he really was. And, and, and he had been gone for long enough that, you know, him coming back was a genuine, you know, coming back to the fold moment. And, you know, it wasn't, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, with Ult- you know, Ultimo Dragon obviously was the biggest one, but because Ultimo Dragon wasn't a wrestler for Torimon Japan, like, yeah, he did wrestle there for, you know, that six month period after he came back, but because he wasn't a wrestler, like there was, uh, him coming back, there was kind of, the catharsis was more for the wrestlers and what you know the, the fan the catharsis catharsis for the fans was more through their favorites seeing yoshino move seeing horiguchi move that's where a lot of the fan connection came from because a lot of older fans don't have the connection with ultimo dragon as a wrestler because he wasn't a wrestler for Torium on japan 
whereas Mag, you know, Milano was a star. Magnum was a star. So them coming back, the old fans are like, you know, finally my favorite has come back. You know, Ultimo Dragon wasn't anybody wasn't anybody's favorite wrestler because he wasn't a wrestler for Dragon for Dragon Gate. Whereas with Milano and Magnum, you would have that. So. I don't know. Horiguchi said that if you were surprised by the first one, then just you just you wait for um, wait for the second one. And I don't know how you can top Milano unless it's Magnum. <laughs> <laughs> but and that that I, has me very excited for June now. But knowing knowing what I knowing what I do know, it doesn't it doesn't feel possible. So that's what would make it you know, and that's also what would make it extra special if it did happen. I'm not saying it is. I'm not, but you know, like if they want to have a surprise and not just have it be a feel good reunion and it also, but if you want to have surprises, there's not after, after Magnum or after Milano, Magnum is the only one left. Like there's not going to be, you know, even if Okada showed up, yeah, he's a Torimon guy, but he was never a Torimon guy. You know, he was a Torimon Mexico guy and, you know, Ishimori could come back, but you know, he's not going to do the sailor boys. So it's not like you're going to, you're not going to get that. Uh, you're not going to get that out of him. And then all the other guys that are around that are stars were Dragon Gate. You know, guys like Shingo, he was a Dragon Gate guy. You know, so it's not there's not a Torimon connection there. And then beyond that, you're getting into indies. You know, guys like you know Ken Forty Five and Manji Maru. You know, they were injured for the first one, so you could have them come in and they'd be new faces. But who gives a shit? You know, like, <laughs> you know. I, I like you know I I like both of them and it would be it'll it would be cool to have them on the show and you know like Sugi who wasn't on the first one I think that he's got a chance to be on this one and and it would be cool but it's not it's not anything you know it wouldn't mean anything and you know Yoshino's gone so you can't do the Italian connection and Darkness Dragon's gone and I think so I think M2K reunions are done so I don't know I don't know what they're gonna do for this. Like the worst thing is, if, you know, like like Ohara, who was not allowed on the first one for various reasons, but now that there's been kind of like the thawing with Noah, that like Ohara could show up at like the worst timing possible. Yeah, that's, yeah, you know that's why he wasn't at the first one. But uh, you know, who knows? Hopefully, he's not on the second one either. But I would be, I would, if you're listening to this thinking about you know about those sort of things i would kind of kind of mentally resolve yourself to the idea that he'll probably be on that show the one that i hope shows back up because i actually well when he came back i was like i forgot how good he was was maka takanashi like and i know he's busy with ddt stuff like that's the one that i'm hoping oh uh, yeah thank reappears. you Brian. yeah he'll he'll she was on the first one so he'll be on this one yeah yeah. Um, guys like him, I'm sure. I'm sure Hisamaru will find a bigger shirt and show up. <laughs> Shut down the noodle <laughs> shop for a day. He sells sushi now, actually. He and he does. Okay. He does very, very well. I guess like he does. Um, it's not a single shop. He has like um, he travels to the different like uh, shopping malls in the or like the shopping centers in the stations around Tokyo. Oh wow! Um, like Ginza and Shibuya, and he'll set up like for a weekend or for a week, and set up like a high-quality sushi shop. And as you can see by his by the 
by his size on the last Torimon show, the sushi business has been very good to him. <laughs> um, he he came for money to begin with, though, so he was all he. Was- yeah, it it's always cool uh, to like seeing like the ones after they leave. Like I know Katoka still has like his seventh gem at this point, but like seeing them kind of like prosper like that's always kind of neat. Yeah, it's interesting, and there's other there, there's other guys that. Um, you know, trying to think of you know the guys that didn't make it onto the first show that could come onto this. That uh, I, I, I know, know Taku Owasa is not out. That is not coming back. I've already prepared myself on <sighs> that. Yeah, you know, I think that if they brought him back, I mean, it would be Michael. It it would that yeah. would be that would be what they do. And I just I don't. And for that, he doesn't need to get into shape. But I think he's not. I think he's not in shape. Yeah, is, is the issue, and I don't think he wants to, like with Magnum, like you were guys were saying with Magnum, like maybe not wanting people to see him looking like that. Um, and I think that's the thing holding him back. I mean, he could come back and do a Florida match, and you know have Johnson take the bumps, or have or have you know put Problem Dragon under the Jackson Florida mask and have him take the bump, you know, you know, or or whatever it is, and it would be fine. But I just I, I don't know. I mean. D- it it would stand to reason that a full Florida Brothers reunion is something that needs to be on the table and discussed for one of these. But for Iwasa, I think it's very much that if we were to see him, we would see him as Michael and not as not as a serious wrestler. Yeah, and I mean, given the time frame, it's not like they're ever going to do Tozawa Juku reunion to begin no, with. I mean, so yeah, and that's Dragon Gate anyway. So right. like, there's nobody else from that. You know, Arakan is still around. Katsuo still wrestles. I mean, they could. I mean, they could if Tozawa were to ever come back. But so but yeah, I don't know. I guess there's still there's the secret base guys, but like Shimizu is kind of kind. Of, he's kind of a head case, so I don't know about him. Um, Oyanagi is retired. Uh, well, and Jet could come back. They could do Aganiso and Jet. That would make sense. Jet, yeah. yeah, they could do because they haven't done Aganiso with Mochizuki in Dragon Gate yet. So, like, you could do the full thing. Like, since Mochizuki doesn't have to do M2K, you could do Kondo Mochizuki, brother Owashi, and Sugawara with Jet at ringside. Um, and that that would be fine. Otherwise, oh man, there's none of these guys are going to be able to. I don't think you think half these guys even wrestle anymore. Like Amigo Suzuki, who cares? Chango. I mean, that's that's like it's like battle royal type stuff. Mm-hmm. There's guys for a battle royal, but there's not a lot of. I mean, you could bring Mensore in, but like, who cares? Yeah, and it seems like Secret Base is just like guys getting together each month anyway, so it's not going to like bring in people. So. Yeah, I mean, they've got. I mean, Hanaoka is over there now. Daisuke Hanaoka. Um, He's like a champion over there now, and he's a you know he's a Torimon guy. He's part of like the final that final class of Torimon, the fourteenth class, along with um, the guys that came after Okada, but never really left a footprint. So like you could bring Hana, like Hanoka is a Torimon guy. He could come in and do a battle royal. Like he's he's fat and moves really poorly though. So I don't I don't know about that. And you could also stretch like PB Hulk. BB Hulk was technically Torimon 15th class, even though he debuted as a Torimon guy. And you could do, you know, you could have 
Torimon versus Dragon Gate guys. You know, you could have like Agoniso versus Zebrats or something like that. I mean, you could. I, I mean, I don't know, but we'll have to wait for June. I mean, that's after King of Gate, so that's a very far. Very, it's close, but it's still very far away because there's so much to happen between. Yeah, we have the hot season to start before that. Well, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the the Luck Corporation is putting their money down, so one could hope. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll have to see who they who they pop for, if there's going to be a guest coming in or not. Um, I mean, there's certainly enough guys. You know, that's another thing is, you know, you still see all of the... Um, you know, Dragon Gate should partner with this promotion or whatever because we need to send, what is it, Private Party? That's, that's the one I always see. You need to send those guys to Dragon Gate for six months and have them come back. It's like, yo, Dragon Gate is not, does not exist to be a developmental for your promotion. We've got enough guys. You know, the whole Forbidden Door thing. You know, I know people people really kind of dumped on Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe made some comments about, like, you know, I play for the top professional team and on the weekend, you know, on my days off, I don't go play for minor league teams or whatever it was that he said. And people kind of got on him for that. And I know that Forbidden Door or whatever the, whatever people say and like promotions working together is the, I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, is that what people still clamor for and people want to see that type of intermixing? There's a crew of AEW guys like Dante and Darius Martin and Lee Moriarty, who I know work alongside Matt Seidel quite a bit. Right. Those are kind of the names of like, oh, if they, if they could go to Drangate, that'd be great. I think Dante Martin uh, would would be a pretty big hit if he went over there. But AEW is focused on New Japan and they've got maybe some sort of triple a relationship still so I, I i don't put much energy into it just because i don't see it realistically happening yeah and my, my perspective on that is like okay um i think what's the argument from the side of the advantages of working with AEW is exposure for the promotion that's that's fine but like what's the point of investing six months into let's say dante martin no matter how talented he is you bring him in and you train him for six months and then he goes back to aew that's six months of maybe matches that you know who's on the who are the guys on the cusp of regular you know takuma has come in and kind of taken taken a regular spot but let's say someone like fuda who doesn't necessarily appear on every single show and now you're bringing in this guy to get him ready to go back to AEW TV in six months. You know, what's what's the point of that investment when you could be giving those reps to your own guys or one of these four other guys from Dragon Gate Future that are going to be debuting this year? And that you look at how groups like you know, people say that New Japan has struggled because of their inability to bring in people from outside and if that's true then i think that says a lot about um not investing in your own guys and or that's your dojo what, right you know that's you know every, every promotion does does things differently and um there's no right way or, or wrong way to do it but i that being said i do think one of the right ways to do it is when you develop guys, you need to, you know, you need to 
focus on your own house first before worrying about anybody else's house. And I do know they want to send, you know, guys, they do want to send guys overseas. They're working on visas. You know, they've got, you know, however many guys are going to go over, they can go live at Ultimo Dragon's house. Or um, actually, they've still got the space above the old Ultimo Dragon gym as a dorm. So, like, they can go stay there. Um, and they're going to be working out of Mexico and working in the U.S. and all that. I don't know who and I don't know the timeline on it. But it's like, I, I don't see it being worth investing in those types of, like, if you're going to bring in somebody from outside, you would want to bring in somebody that is going to come and become invested. You know, that's the difference between, you know, Young Bucks, Pack, Ricochet, Uha Nation, Matt Seidel. When those guys came over from overseas and became, you know, came to Dragon Gate and got good, right? I mean, that, that's, the talk, that's the main talking point is you look at how good those guys those guys became when they came to Dragon Gate. That's because there was no, but there. That's because they came to Dragon Gate to be Dragon Gate wrestlers. They didn't come to Dragon Gate for tours or for learning excursions. They came here to be Dragon Gate guys and stay and get invested. And that's why they got so good. It wasn't just coming over here and working here for six months. You know, yeah. it's it's becoming part of the culture. And I just don't think with the way the the landscape of wrestling is right now, you're gonna you can get you can get that easily um and so if you're relying on partnerships to bring in you know you know foreign guys or to bring in accessory like i i you know foreign wrestlers in japan are kind of they're they're the garnish right like you don't go to like let's you know you don't go to a restaurant because the fries are good right you go because the main dish is good and maybe if they've got good fries you just make sure you get the fries every time you go there and that's very much the approach you have to look at when you're talking about foreigners wrestling in promotions in Japan. And that is the issue maybe that New Japan had if the is that the foreigners became too much of the main dish. And now you know, now because of that, you see how it suffers. And that's what I don't want to see happen to Dragon you know, happen to Dragon Gate. And that's why investing so much in your own system is is that much more important and not being concerned about what the outside is doing so if you were to bring in a foreigner you would want someone that's someone like diamante you know diamante who came over and didn't go home for the pandemic he could have gone home for the pandemic but he said you know what screw it i'm going to stay here and work and now look at how good look at how good he is and he's a dragon gate wrestler he's not the lucha he's not the mexican wrestler that comes in and works for dragon gate he's a dragon gate wrestler and that's what, if you're going to be bringing guys over and investing time and giving them spots on the main cards, then that's the type of guy you want. And I, I would say that just to, like another aspect of it that just kind of pops in my head is like, if you send like Yamato over or you bring someone across that people are going to do like this, really you're playing to, you're, you're not playing to your native market. And you can only expand so much outside of your native market for like a company like Dragon Gate, and that's just going to be subscriptions, and that's that's a flat rate. Whereas if you have someone who's like invested, like Diamante, and they become Diamante fans, then you get their tickets to their shows, you get the merch, you get all that. So like, yeah, also exactly. also business wise, it it lines up that way. Unless the people want to learn to be a Dragon Gate wrestler, 
So right, yeah, that... right, exactly. Um, you know, there's there is some like I've been. I'm not going to give his give his name out, but there is a there was a, a wrestler that um, I've been kind of going back and forth with, and I, he's been talking with other people in the company too during during the pandemic. Like he's he wants to come over and do the dojo thing. Like he wants to come start over, learn from zero. You know, come and live in the dojo for however long it takes, and you know, become a Dragon Gate wrestler. And like I told him. You know, it's we've been kind of like I asked the company, like, so can guy, you know, do you want people to send stuff in? Can they send it now, or is it pointless? So we've been kind of like, it's been pointless for a year and a half because you can't bring anybody over anyway that doesn't that hasn't had a visa already. But now we're kind of getting to that point, and I was like, okay, look, you can send your stuff in, but just you know, when you send your message, make sure you stress that if you did come over, you'd be coming over. And you're willing to do it long term and you're willing to, you know, deal with the low pay and deal with the eating the same dojo food and, you know, living there and put, you know, putting in the work and, you know, being a Dragon Gate guy from zero, you know, stress in that because that's, there's no point in bringing over anybody else. Whereas on the other side of things, going to the U.S., you know, there is, yeah, you can get the experience, you know, like if you go and you live, you know, and you're working however many shows in Mexico in a week, and maybe you come up for US indie shows, but like, that's not going to help expand the market in the West anyway. Like people aren't going to watch, you know, a sleazy, you know, whatever, whatever Lucha indie show or, you know, whatever undercard match, like you're going to have to send, you're going to have to send a six man to GCW you know, for a WrestleMania weekend show, like that's going to be the thing that puts eyes on Dragon Gate outside of the outside of Japan at this point. Like that's the only thing that you can do. So I think that you, you need to take a year, you need to refine whatever guys, whether it be D Courage and Takuma versus some Zebrats team or, you know, whatever, or, you know, a gold class trio and get a six man that's refined to the point that the ROH six man was and send it, you know, send it to, you know, whatever WrestleMania, you know, when, let's say next year when it's full pandemic is over, there's no more concern about things. It's full balls out WrestleMania weekend. You know, you've got to send guys to that and have them go over and do Dragon Gate matches, not just be guys on shows, you know, dra you know, a Dragon Gate guy wrestling, you know, Yamato goes over, like he was supposed to go over and wrestle on an impact show before the pandemic or whatever it was like, that's not going to expose people to Dragon Gate. You have to go out and you have to send a Dragon Gate match there. And, uh, you know, I don't think they're ready to do it yet. Like, I think that they could go and they could have a good match, but I don't think the newer generation, like you need to send, like, you can't send Dragon Kid again because people have seen Dragon Kid. And yeah, you know, Dragon Kid's great. He would go over, he'd do Dragon Gate things and it would get over. But, you know, Ho-Ho, this is something that Ho-Ho found when he was over for his little U.S. tour and, you know, talking to fans was that most of the people that know Dragon Gate, like the everyday people, still only know like that match or like those people they know dragon kid they know shima they know you know shingo and tozawa those guys like they don't know any of these new names so you need to send these new the new names and you need to send them over to make an impact and you know it needs to be like that precise you know masato yoshino look at me i don't fuck up mentality like that's the type of that's what you have to send over so um i think we're about a year 18 months away from having that type of match ready but um when we get there i don't know who do you guys think there that's my question to you guys you're sending six guys over for for a six man 
um, kind of using the current affiliations. Let's say you know these same units are together a year from now. Who are the six guys you send? Well, What's your, your Dragon Gate six man for WrestleMania weekend. So last year, it very easily would have been Masquerade versus Red. Like that would have been the easy one. But now with the shakeup, what's six, what's, six, what's six guys though specifically? I think you would have to go Daya, Shun, and Kota versus SB, Ata, and Ishida. Yeah, I agree. I would agree I, on I, that. I, I, I'm a low person on, on Est. I just don't see it. But I think that like as much as I would love Jason over there, and I know Jason would kill it there, I think you have to go with those three, four, four Masquerade. And then with RED, I mean... SB is going to be the person you're building the company around for the next 15 years. And he's right. the one that, that gets it with that. And then Ata and Ishida, I mean, I mean, Ata was already over here and loves Mexico. Like he understands that there and, and works on that stage. And Ishida just has like the special sauce that I think would work there. But out of these, I mean, I'd be tempted to go Young Vibes and KZ and then SB, Shun, and Diamante, to be honest. Okay, I've got the exact same match. Yeah, I want. I think. <laughs> I, I think KZ would get it immediately. I think UT does stuff that no one in America is doing right now. Kamei's very charismatic. I think he's very memorable. I think even just that name has some sort of. It doesn't have cachet with the American audience. I think people would remember that name, and then. Yeah, you have to. I think you have to send Shun. He would have been my first pick in Masquerade. He's my first pick now. Uh, SP Kento is my guy. I love him. I want to get him over in America as soon as possible, just so other people can see him. I, I'm all for growing the Dragon Gate audience. I I'm almost afraid of sending Diamante to that environment because I I hope he's committed to Dragon Gate because once he gets in front of new eyeballs, people are going to want him so badly. But that Shun Diamante SB trio is a lock for me. And then it's just a matter of, you know, you could do Diane Yoshioka and, and Fujiwara. Uh, you could even do Minora Shida Doi. I think that'd be a great match. But that that core Zebrats trio of Shun, SB Kento, and Diamante would be, without a doubt, my first pick. Yeah, it's tough. Um, like, for me, I'm having a hard time fitting in. Zebrats team, um, which is kind of strange because you kind of want to have the the heel face dynamic in this sort of thing. But like, I want to send. I feel like D Courage need need to be a part of this. The third, you know, the third person. I'm not sure. But then you also want natural vibes in that. You want KZ. You want you want Jack, and the third guy. I would actually go with with Big Boss over UT, um, but you know those three against D Courage and somebody, and then I would send I would send Jason to be the guy that does the attraction match because I think Jason is a guy that is so good that he would be that would be the, a situation that would help open a lot of people's eyes to him. Oh, I mean, so. you mentioned GCW earlier, and I, I'm a big detractor of GCW. I don't like what they do. I don't like the way they run their shows. I find them to be very off-putting. No one they book, even their high-end U.S. indie guys, they can't 
sniff what Jason does. I mean, I've said on this show, I think, you know, in terms of a junior heavyweight style of wrestler, obviously most of this roster is juniors, but of that, that true junior style, I think Jason's the best in the world right now. No one does what he does. Yeah, he's amazing. And if they keep, they just need to let him go out and keep cutting promos in Japanese and he'll be a fucking superstar. I just, I just, I mentioned GCW because they seem like the, no, they're the hot one. You're, you, you yeah. nailed it. That's exactly what they have to do the is hot, run a yeah. six man on a GCW show as depressing as that sounds to me. Yeah. I mean, Ho-Ho, Ho-Ho was very impressed by how they ran the show over there. So like Ho-Ho wants to work okay. there again, work All there right. again. So that's just, you know, they're, they seem like the ROH or ECW equivalents. So that's why I said them. It could be, you know, any other, promo, you know, any other promotion that that's getting, getting eyes on them for over there but yeah i i agree on jason like they just need to to run with him i don't know where do you guys think he's ending up oh boy well i personally high-end just depresses me so i want to start from, <laughs> this is a very anti-high-end podcast <laughs> i just i don't know what it is okay so what is it for you guys because i feel like that's the general sentiment and i think a lot of it is because people are just not going to like Yamato's unit. I think that they're. <laughs> I, I might be guilty of that, but go ahead, Mike. <laughs> I it's just for me, and especially from when I really went full bore and Dragon Gate became my promotion. I it feels very disconnected as a unit because, yeah. like, when I like I got into it, like I'm the weirdo that as soon as I saw Tozawa Chuku, I saw Kira Tozawa, I was like, oh, that's my favorite wrestler right now. And, and that was like very unified. Whereas high end right now, you, you could go all in with like the MMA with Yamato's background, Ben and Okuda, and then you would have Fuda there and it'd be perfect there. But then you also have Kage and DK and it's just like, these guys are here to talk really. And it just doesn't, it doesn't mesh with me. And it, and, and, and as much as like, it's easy to throw around, Oh, this is try Vanguard 2.0. Try Vanguard 2.0, you had, at least initially, you had, like, a very connected group of, like, Hulk and uh, KZ being North Tribe, like, like having that, and then I mean, Tohoku being not far from there. Like, you had, like, that kind of, like, vein there, and it's completely absent for me in high end. So I don't want, I, I don't want Jason around it whatsoever. I just, whatever's happening with, like, Ata and Maria, I kind of see, like, that, because it still feels like there's too many unaffiliated people. I kind of see him ending up there, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, um, could he, could he end up in decourage? Are they? I don't I know mean, what they, they're they doing with a, that. Yeah, because I I would think they need a third, and quite honestly, a fourth, because it's not like I mean, Jason's kind of that perfect spot on the roster where he can he can beat anyone and he can lose to anyone, but. You would need if you need if they add a third and it's Jason, then you need a fourth, which I guess could just be Estrella, but that's too close to Masquerade. Um, yeah, I I don't know about Estrella. Um, I think that if talking about people that are people that are going overseas, I think that he's probably candidate number one to go to Mexico for for a yes, while. That's yeah. Um, I think I think that that's everyone. Like if you start thinking about okay guys are going to go to mexico to live in ultimo dragon's house he's the first guy you know i mean he was the first character that ultimo dragon put together when he came back to the company i mean it would all just make sense for him to go there but um as far as d courage goes i mean i think the 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 fantasy booking or just the way things are playing out that they end up with Ata 
and, and if Yosuke is going going with Ata, then you know whatever that is, and that ends up being the group, and they just kind of exist as a regular tag team within, you know, within that. Um, I would love on, that. Based on you know the the way Skywalker and Diamante destroyed Takuma and Estrella yesterday, it feels like that same destruction is coming for decourage very soon and that's going to be the catalyst that leads them to think okay we need to you know we need some backup to fight these guys um but you know we kind of thought the same thing about Kaneska a long time ago and they went a whole year <laughs> they went a year with, before before joining a team you know before joining a unit so it could be the same thing here i don't know what they want to do i mean We'll probably find out, like honestly, today, um, because today is where if there's going to be a cage match or anything like that, where it's going to have to be set up today. Like this is this is the deadline for that. So we'll start seeing where the pieces are moving in that direction. I had I had fantasy booked it in my head at the beginning of the year. My head canon was ata and kaito were gonna would continue on through to the cage match and then kaito would turn on him and go back to red and that would be like kind of the the catalyst for ata's big baby face turn i didn't really see the master and servant snm ata thing happening at all <laughs> but i don't like, think anyone was to be honest <laughs> yeah, that, that got us all by surprise <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like maybe the like you run them as a trio, like Ita, Kaito, and and Yosuke, and Kaito wants nothing to do with it. Ita wants nothing to do with it, but slowly Ita kind of comes around to it while Kaito doesn't, and that ends up you know leading to him going back or you know whatever. But it feels like a lot of the story points that they wanted that felt like they were culminating to the cage match have been wrapped up already, and we're just moving forward. So maybe there just isn't going to be one this year. I don't know. Um. I thought at the start of the year it was going to be all the masquerade guys in Yoshioka in the cage, but then Zebrat settled so quickly, and then Decourage came into play. That now Jason, I mean, I, I, I'm not worried about a stray up in a big picture story anytime soon, but Jason's the only one there that doesn't have a spot. I think it'd be interesting for him to to end up in Zebrats for a short period of time, but then again, long term, I don't know, and that doesn't really play into the cage match. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, I think Jason's story is going to be independent of that. And there's still other guys. There's guys like Machine J who need to go into units. You know, all these guys that are going to be in units by by the summer that are going to be independent of the cage. And I think either, whatever it is, I think it's just going to be kind of a story that ends up with Hyo getting his head shaved, to be honest. Whatever the end result is, however they however they want to get there. But um, I don't know, maybe it's just a Dreamgate match. Maybe it's just that's where Kai loses and that's the main event. And then we go on. Well, let, let me ask you, because you brought it up. Who do you think will end up beating Kai for the Dreamgate? Uh, that's a tough, that's tough. I mean, who do you guys got? I mean, I know I've got KZ as the guy um, t- to beat him. Um, I know the last time we talked was before, it was before World last year, right? Yeah. So we would have been talking about this is the perfect time for KZ to win. And I said, no, it's not. And then he lost and people got mad. And people are probably still mad about it. <laughs> And <laughs> that um, is, you know, that that is true. I was and I was rooting for KZ, but I was stunned at the amount of people in our discord who said, hey, you know, KZ lost at world. I'm I'm good. I'm going to check out for a while. That that happened to a lot of people in our bubble. Yeah, I did. I did see a lot of that. And I think that's a lot of a lot of that is just because Yamato won. Like if there was any I, I think that 
people just don't like Yamato because of his last his his 2016-17 title reign. Was, yeah, I've still got so, PTSD from it. Was so poorly received that I think people just unless he's unless he turns heel and wins the championship as a heel, I don't think I think people are just people on the on the, the English speaking side are just are not going to go with Yamato no matter what. And ha- it happening at the expense of KZ just made it so much worse, and that's why people ref- just refused to go with it this time but that that being said for casey um there was never a in his previous challenges i don't think there was ever a time where you could make a solid case for him winning like mochizuki he wasn't going to win pack there was no way he should have won that match the match with doi it was too you know doi's reign was it was his first title defense there was no way doi was losing that quickly then the one with Ata was just a, th- a throwaway to get to you know to get to uh, Skywalker, and then last year was what it was. Whereas if you put him with Kai, Kai's reign is deep enough now to where he can lose. You know, it's his third defense. You can lose at the third defense, and it's not a surprise. Like we're kind of getting to the point with Kai defenses now, where it's any one of these defenses can be the one where he loses, and that's. Um, not something that could be said for previous times that KZ challenged. And also it's somebody that KZ can win and there could be no residual resentment. Whereas, you know, like if he had beaten Doi or if he had beaten Pac, you know, there would be the people that were like, ugh, why did he, you know, why did he beat him? Whereas if he beats, if if KZ was the one to beat Kai, then there's no complaints. And he can beat him with the Sky Day schoolboy. And it would play into the story of Kai's reign. So that was another thing that people were kind of like on the Japanese side, like, oh my God, he's going to win with that, with the Sky Day schoolboy. Like if someone wins the championship, you want, you want to hit your move and pin him in the middle of the ring, not a flash pin, where if he beats Kai with a flash pin, it plays into the story of Kai's reign. So I think that if, if it's going to be KZ time, that this is as good a time as any to do it. That being said, it could also just as well be, they just force Minora and they give the title to him. That is kind of my thought process is Minora is getting the Dreamgate sooner rather than later. And I'm a big fan, so I'm okay with that. But your KZ argument is very sound. Yeah. And just my argument against him was sound last year. And now my argument for him is sound <laughs> <Yeah>. this year. <laughs> I think that I, I really bought into Shimizu winning and the, the more Shimizu pinned him in the build, I got so disappointed. I was like, oh, God, oh, Kai's going to beat him. Kai's going to beat him. Because I thought Shimizu, just that arc of him going from just a comedy character to a killer, I thought they did such a great job with him. And now that we've exited the Shimizu part of this, I don't I don't know that I don't have a good feel on the next direction. But to me, it's always been Minora. But now KZ has once again entered the fray for me. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there's any need to go to Kota this quickly. And that's the thing. Like yeah. I understand that you want to give him his you want to give him his reign and you know establish him as a Dreamgate guy, but you know, there was a need to do that for Ben Kane for Skywalker. You know, like this is kind of the equivalent of, you know, when Saito and Susumu got their reigns in 2006 where there was there was a dire need at that time to establish people from the that middle generation as guys that could be threats to the championship and did it work out for both of them not necessarily but they did carry they were able to carry that 
kind of reputation. And even though they both became mainly tag guys and undercard guys, it, it didn't matter because they were former champions. They had that feud. There was that backing then from them. So I think that um, the idea of guys winning the championship and then failing um, isn't necessarily a bad thing. I don't like outright failing is bad. Yes. But winning and not becoming the top guy in the company is not necessarily a bad thing. And we saw, cause we, then we saw the same thing in um, when, you know, the, the gener- the current generation got their, their first wins, you know, Doi, Yoshino, Yamato, all those guys, when they won the championship for the first time, didn't, you know, didn't light the world on fire. But then when you went back to them, you know, because they had that previous reputation, it was fine. I think we're in the time period now where now that Skywalker, Ben K, and Ata have kind of earned that reputation as former champions, there's no need to rush it onto somebody else now. You can give it to KZ. You can give, like, honestly, if you're doing a cage match and Ata's going to come out as the super babyface, put the title back on Ata and give it, you know, give him a long title ring. Give him a year before you go to Minora. You know, let yeah. Minora find his voice for another year. Yeah, like, I was always with the mindset that this would be Ada's year at Kobe World. Like, he had, like, he carried the burden of having to be, like, the first new champion under COVID. Like, it cemented him, like, after RED was, like, kind of, in a lot of ways, pack kind of redefined it and set it up for Ata to really thrive afterwards. It's time for like Ata to really get the 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 full throated run. I also had a crazy idea and and the, this is something that like stuck in my head for a long time is like they're going to try something with Kento sooner or sooner or later. So I was like, yeah, yeah. I think and as long as his body doesn't betray him, he will um I think going to Ata, I think look, you Ata is so over right now just from his just during his entrances like yosuke had been kind of cheerleading and trying to get people clapping for the entrance music to get like the big claps for when ito was coming out but now it's just happening naturally like yosuke doesn't need to cheerlead anymore like ita is going to be the biggest baby face in dragon gate <laughs> during the summer so having him be super babyface and beating whether it's kai or if you if the title goes to somebody else like yeah this is Ata's year and he's going to do it as a babyface the babyface that i thought he was going to be the first time he won the championship and they had the the cage match where i thought there's no possible way any of these other stipulations are going to are going to happen but they they did it (laughs) they they did it they they did big dirty yeah, I think it's the big baby face energy is there, and like this, Ata should be like before Kota, they need to go to him. But then having SB be the one that fucks Ata and takes the championship off of him is, you know, logical storytelling, right? The guy that usurps him as the leader. You know, I think that Kai as Zebrat's leader is um, a big mislead. It feels like Kai is Zebrat's leader while he's champion, and then as soon as he's not champion right. anymore, he's it's... yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say it's like Kishiwada. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, there you don't need him anymore as soon as he's not champion. If you're if you're Zebrat's, you know, like he kind of feels like an odd man out for them right now. 
Um, Hulk does too, but you know, Hulk is gonna you know hulk's gonna stay with them but kai you know i don't necessarily see it you know you could you bring kikuda back and if he goes with zebrats then you don't need kai anymore and uh so maybe kai is only leader and only zebrats as long as he has the championship and that's something that something that maybe sb can uh play a role in so i I like that a lot. Well, Jay, you stayed with us a lot longer than I than we thought, but it was an absolute blast. Uh, what, what all would you like to plug on your way out? Um, well, people that are listening to this are probably already subscribed to everything. I mean, there's <laughs> not, you know, Dragon Gate Network, Dragon Gate Live. Um, if you're not signed up, obviously head in now. We're going into hot season. Um, March is kind of slow. We've already we're done with the live schedule for this month. And unfortunately, Champion Gate have already dropped off for on demand. But we're going into April. We've got Knesset's retirement show on April 7th. And then there's going to be another Corkin on April 25th. And then uh, March or May, sorry, is going to be where everything starts. We've got Dead or Alive on the 5th. And then King of Gate starts on uh, May 11th, which is the 25th anniversary of the Ultimo Dragon Gym, the first Torimon. The first Torimon Mexico show, May eleventh, nineteen ninety seven. So it's a it's an important date, and uh, that's gonna, we're going to be in Corken Hall, and that's where King of Gate kicks off. And myself and Ho Lun will be there for English commentary on that, and then you know that's Kobe World season. But otherwise, um, also if you're not following the the official Dragon Gate YouTube channel yet, um, be sure to do that, like and subscribe because there are um, free matches essentially weekly. I mean, busiest schedule in all of Japan. And now for these shows that aren't on the network, um, there's going to be, you know, one or two matches for free on YouTube, usually, usually overnight, you know? So for me, you know, people here and people in Japan, you go to bed, you wake up, there's new stuff in the morning. And, you know, maybe for, maybe for you guys, it's uh, up in time for your lunch break or whatever it is, gives you something to watch, gives you something to look forward to for these periods, you know, where we've got three weeks between the next network show, there will still be new Dragon Gate for you to watch. So be sure to like and subscribe over there because the subscriber count lets them know that it's worthwhile because this is one of those things, it's new, it's still in the experimental phase. And if, you know, the, the you know they're, they're not getting the following on the YouTube channel, then they can just as well stop doing it. And then that would be a tremendous loss. So please go and do that. Um, Especially with King of Gate coming up, because I would assume we might get King of Gate matches that would otherwise not be televised. Right. You know, that's a major talking point year on year because people that come over to Dragon Gate from, let's say, the G1, where, you know, the G1, every tournament match is on New Japan World. And they come in and say, well, I'm, I'm all right, I'm going to get I've got my spreadsheet. I've got my I've done my pickums. I'm ready to watch King of Gate and watch all these matches and get into it. And then you've got three weeks of house shows. And yeah, I mean, that's the first thing that pops pops to mind. If you're putting house show matches on YouTube now, that maybe all of King of Gate is going to be viewable. But um, maybe they might not do it if there's not enough people following the YouTube channel and it, it's deemed as not worthwhile. So be sure to like, subscribe, comment, all that, you know, mash that subscribe button and, you know, whatever it is that YouTubers say that you need to do for their channel please go and do that for the official Dragon Gate YouTube channel and uh, stay tuned. Well, Jay, thank you so much for joining us. This was a blast to talk to who I would argue probably 
the biggest Kness fan I know at the very least. And <laughs> getting yeah. some nuggets that we didn't already know. Yeah, I've held some stuff back too. So um, be sure to tune into the retirement show. And those use those portions where there's usually not a lot going on and I don't have a lot to say, this is one of those situations where I'll have plenty of stuff to say. So please be sure to tune into the live show to get more of the Kineska lore, including the story behind the f- behind how they became friends. I've held that one back. Oh, okay. Um, because it's 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 actually it's, it's a ridiculous it's a ridiculous story actually, but we'll tell that and everything else and you know recap and Onrio from Wrestle Yume Factory is going to be there and there's an interesting story about him and Kuness so please oh wow be sure to tune in for that so if he shows up on camera we'll be sure we'll be able to tell that and English commentary all the way up to Kobe World according to the Wrestling Observer newsletters I'm barely a better announcer than Jim Ross but I will do my best. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jay, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Yeah. No, thank you so much for joining. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back with you next week. Take care.